That's right. It was a gloomy, stormy afternoon when Sam sat down to read the final chapters of Percy Jackson and the Olympians. He was all tucked away in his coziest sweater, in his thinnest t-shirt, and his most revealing gym shorts. (laughs) Upon this dark and stormy eve, when he was to read the final chapters of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, He looked down at his mic and realized the settings were wrong from when he did recording earlier in that week, and he was devastated. He cleared his throat. (coughs) Gently, quietly, like a professional would do. And he looked at all the people and said, hi! Hi, people! Hello, everyone! How do you do? Gertie, Jade, Sander, Yuyu, hello. Hi, folks. Louise, Dahlia, Tanisha, Sander, JCA, Midwest Millennial. Welcome to a live show. Why do I look like a like? Why do I look like I'm I'm like a an, a mannequin from a shop in the '80s trying to sell women's suit jackets? Why I look like I got shoulder padding on? What's the deal here? Is it just my posture? What's going on? Hey, four months, Zem. How you doing? Welcome back. Uh, welcome back to uh, Sam and the Scarecrow Shoulders. This is my new, um, let's see, we're kind of trying to pioneer a new genre of music. It's called, uh, it's called Folkcore. It's called Falcor. Uh, <laughs> what have y'all been doing? What have y'all been up to? Not to interrupt at all, Zam. Never you fear. Good to have you here. Uh, yeah, hey, what have you been doing? Uh, Luis, I see you've got some new emotes up in the mix. Uh, for those of you who have not heard in a while, uh, Luis does some fun farmyard streaming uh, and has got a bunch of new <laughs> got a bunch of new emotes in there. Uh, they're very cute. I'm seeing a kitten, and I definitely saw a puppy earlier. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> Luis, uh, emote hedge witch. Falcor, best metal band in all the Nine Kingdoms. Uh, Dolly says, getting stuff done today with a little help from my friends, keeping me accountable. Gotcha. What's the stuff that Dahlia needs to be held accountable for? Because in my head, Dahlia doesn't... Dahlia's like uh, my sister Rachel, doesn't need to be held accountable for much. That That's that's the spot where you live in my head, Dahlia. It's just like, yeah, I've got this thing to do, so it's going to get done. It's like an inevitability. It's like death, taxes, and uh, Dahlia being efficient. I could be totally wrong, though. Lack of spoons? I got gotcha. you. Okay, that makes sense. That, no, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Uh, let's see. I have been... Um, I've been writing. I've been game writing. Um, uh, I've been writing the Silver Bullet RPG. And if you want to find the one-page version of that, that is up on Discord right now. Um, but... I have just finished writing the sort. I'm doing sort of two explanations of the rules: uh, one for experienced GMs and one for inexperienced GMs. I'm done with the one for the experienced GMs because the the one for inexperienced ones is going to take a lot longer. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I've I've got the the basics of the system all taken care of in there. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to take a lot of playtesting. So um, if any of y'all have got uh, the inclination to run a very simple RPG um, that is designed to be, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, it has eight steps. Um, it's actually changed a little bit, I think, since I put it up there. I just combined steps four and five. Um, but essentially, it's got a, a very small number of steps, and you can play as many of those steps as you wish. Um and it's not until the very last step does it become kind of its own, like, pretty unique thing. It is coin-based, um, and that is sort of, it speaks to the objective for the whole thing, which is to be an onboarding game. Um, it is not necessarily a game that I, I would love to develop it to the point where people would like to play it for a long time. But uh, right now, the, the whole aim of the game is just to bring people into what is fun and exciting and unique about tabletop RPGs. So um, if any of y'all want to run a, a fun little system, uh, go ahead and check that out. It's in the general RPG chat over in Discord. Um, right now, it's just the one page. I will be adding the uh, information for experienced GMs soon because that just needs a little bit of revision. Um, and then, uh, yeah, let me know, let me know your thoughts on that. Um, I'm going to start to release, uh, no, I'm not, I'm going to release one. I'm not going to like commit to the rest of them, but I'm going to release one collection of classes, uh, for the fantasy genre, just so people can get an idea of how some of these mechanics work within the classes. Um, but other than that, y'all should find that they are, um, you know, this, this whole project is very straightforward. Um, and ideally it's the sort of thing where you can kind of like ambush your friends, the, the, the people who aren't quite sure if they're going to like RPGs and it's a system to help you find out. So that's the silver bullet RPG, um, that is over in the discord right now. And if you want to find the discord, well, here it is. It's in the links category. Um, or underneath the links command, and you can find that link tree there. It's got links to all sorts of stuff, but especially the Discord. Midwest Millennial says, I played a similar entryway RP, uh, homebrew called RPG Lite, probably the most I've laughed in a game. I think it's a lot of fun, and frankly, I, I'm really happy with the way that this system has kind of panned out. It's a great balance between um, uh, fidelity, you know, being able to, like, really, really differentiate between character builds and stuff and, and really have fun with that. Great balance between fidelity and simplicity. I think it's a really streamlined system. Um... Your level equals your health equals the energy that you can put toward your skills, all this sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, the GM has uh, a few tools to use. And I think it'll be very familiar to anybody who likes Powered by the Apocalypse games, but it does not need to operate in that way. Um, so there's that for you. Uh, like I said, coin-based. So all you need to do is uh, gather some pennies and get that one page. Um, and then uh, later on, if you want to play the final step of it so that you're playing the entirety of it, um, you can check out the the genre packets that I release later on. So there's all that, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Um, if you wanna check out tabletop RPGs, we do those on Wednesdays. We're doing a lot of world building right now. And uh, next week, we're actually gonna jump in and develop out some of our frontier territories. So if you like that kind of like weird wild west kind of thing with uh, werewolves and ghosts and, and vampires, but also uh, uh, swords and knights and uh, castles, um, y'all are gonna be able to find that on Wednesdays, noon Pacific time. Uh, today, however, this is a Thursday, and Thursday means Flying Sidecar. I was trying to decide if I was going to go list the rest of my week, but I'm not going to. No, today is Flying Sidecar. This is a voice actor's adventure through some stories that we all love, and when I say through, today I really mean through. Y'all, we have read the entirety of the Harry Potter series. 
we have now read, as of the end of today, um, the entirety of the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series. Um, at the almost exactly one year mark, I began reading this series um, at, I want to say, the end of January or the start of February of uh, 2021. And now it is the end of Jan- eh, middle of January uh, 2022, taking us almost exactly a year. This is uh, this is it for the for the series. Um, there are of course other series in the same universe that I would encourage y'all to check out if you enjoyed this one. Um, uh, uh, I mean, honestly, there are quite a few, but you can look up uh, the Percy Jackson and the Olympians, and you can find that wiki, and it will take you to all the various other books that are involved with this one. Um, so, I hope you all will enjoy. Um, this is going to be our last stream of this book and uh, of this series. Next, I want to let you all know while you're all here, while I've got the bulk of you here, next up, Hunger Games. I don't have any plans except to start that next week, so I would say you can count on that one starting next week. Uh, Next Thursday, um, same time uh, for right now, but I am considering switching things up. Uh, I'm going to take a poll over in Discord about that, Um, so y'all do let me know um, if a different time would work for you. Last time, it sounded like the the time worked well for... It it was sort of the best possible time for people uh, already, so perhaps that will be how it continues to be. But, everyone, I do hope that you have enjoyed it thus far. Um, Percy Jackson has been an interesting ride. Um, It certainly was was one that, like, coming off of Harry Potter, I wasn't sure where we were going to go with it, but it's been fun. Um, And now, as we move on to the Hunger Games... Uh, let's, uh, well, let's just focus up. Let's stay present. Let's be in the moment here. Um, I think it's, uh, it, <laughs> it's, we, we've had such a long run with this. Let's, let's really focus in and see how it ends. Everybody, I hope you've enjoyed this thus far. Um, let's talk a bit of quick review. I'm going to try to be super quick and then we're going to move on to chapters 19 through 23. That's right, a five-chapter day today. Let's get in. Um, Chapters, let's see, I believe it was 16, 17, 18 last week. Uh, 16, we get help from a thief. 17, I sit on the hot seat. 18, my parents go commando. The essence of these three chapters, I'm not even going to summarize them individually. The essence of these three chapters is that we can see how Kronos is struggling a little bit against Luke somewhere in there. Um... We can certainly see the ways that uh, Annabeth is struggling kind of with the knowledge of, of, of you know, Luke and, and Luke having betrayed them, um, maybe finally coming to accept it. Rachel Elizabeth Dare uh, has showed up and she is now sort of running around someplace, but she informs Percy that, quote, you are not the hero. We don't know what this means, even... Rachel doesn't know what this means, uh, but she is here, and she agrees um, that uh, she's going to kind of forego some of her earthly connections. We think this probably means Percy, among a few other things. Um, And she is going to fulfill her fate. She makes this deal with Hestia, the the last Olympian, the goddess of the hearth, but we don't know precisely what it means yet. Um, we also, uh, we are back up in Olympus for, for a little bit, and Percy sits on his father's throne in order to get Poseidon's attention. Very dangerous, but he does it, and it works. Poseidon comes back, and Percy kind of convinces him, like, listen, the place where you have power is in the ocean. 
That's the place where you have dominion and authority, but it's not your home. Your home is Olympus, and I think you should perhaps let the ocean fall and instead come back and defend Olympus because we need your help. We're not sure exactly how that's going to go down, but it seems like Percy made an impression at the very least. Um, uh, and then uh, at the very end here, we uh, uh, Kronos sort of shrinks his spell down to only encompass just the, just the outside of uh, the Empire State Building. What this means is that he is... As Hades and Nico show up, sounds like Nico was successful in convincing Hades to join the fight. Um, as they show up, Kronos kind of cuts everything else off. Instead of instead of his whole army fighting against, uh, uh, instead of him and his whole army fighting against, uh, you know, uh, Percy and Annabeth and uh, Nico and Hades and all of the others here, he just sort of draws this little border. And Hades and Nico are trapped on the outside. And most of Kronos' forces are trapped on the outside. That leaves on the inside just sort of Kronos and some of his, his you know, close lieutenants, kind of a squad of people. And then also on the inside, Percy and Annabeth and uh, a few others as well. So essentially just sort of making the fight smaller. But it also means he can sort of dart in and uh, head, uh, head for the elevator. He kind of just skips right past the uh, the, the the defense force outside. Um, now, folks, that is where we're at. I hope you will enjoy uh, today's read. Um, let's see. I got to figure out where I'm going to take my break today. I think, let's see, out of the 4,000 words we're trying to read today, I think it, uh, excuse me, 14,000 words, pardon, um, I think it probably makes the most sense to go after chapter, after our second chapter of the day, so. There we go. All right, everybody. I love y'all. Uh, thanks for chilling with me for these last for this last year. Um, and if you've been with me for longer than that, thank you so much for that as well. Uh, thank you for hanging out during Harry Potter and uh, now during this. And I look forward to hanging out with you during the Hunger Games as well. Let's begin. Chapter 19. We trash the Eternal City. The bridge to Olympus was dissolving. We stepped out of the elevator into the white marble walkway, and immediately cracks appeared at our feet. Jump, Grover said, which was easy for him since he's part mountain goat. He sprang to the next slab of stone while ours tilted sickeningly. Oh, gods, I hate heights, Talia yelled as she and I leapt, but Annabeth was in no shape for jumping. She stumbled and yelled, Percy! I caught her as the pavement fell, crumbling into dust. For a second, I thought she was going to pull us both over. Her feet dangled in the open air as I held onto her hand. It started to slip until I was holding her by only her fingers. Then Grover and Talia grabbed my legs, and I found extra strength. Annabeth was not going to fall. I pulled her up, and we lay trembling on the pavement. I didn't realize we had our arms around each other until she suddenly tensed. Um, thanks, she muttered. I tried to say, 
Uh, yeah, don't mention it. But it came out as... Uh, duh. Keep moving. Grover tugged to my shoulder. We untangled ourselves and sprinted across the sky bridge as more stones disintegrated and fell into oblivion. We made it to the edge of the mountain just as the final section collapsed. Annabeth looked back at the elevator, which was now completely out of reach. A polished set of metal doors hanging in space, attached to nothing, 600 stories above Manhattan. We're marooned, she said. On our own. <laughs> Grover said. The connection between Olympus and America is dissolving if it fails. Then the gods won't move on to another country this time, Talia said. This will be the end of Olympus. The final end. We ran through the streets. Mansions were burning. Statues had been hacked down. Trees in the parks were blasted to splinters. It looked like someone had attacked the city with a giant weed whacker. Kronos is scythe, I said. We followed the winding path toward the Palace of the Gods. I didn't remember the road being so long. Maybe Kronos was making time slower, or maybe it was just dread slowing me down. The whole mountaintop was in ruins. So many beautiful buildings and gardens, gone. A few minor gods and nature spirits had tried to stop Kronos. What remained of them was strewn about the road. Shattered armor, ripped clothing, swords and spears broken in half. Somewhere ahead of us, Kronos's voice roared. Brick by brick. That was my promise. Tear it down brick by brick. A white marble temple with a gold dome suddenly exploded. The dome shot up like the lid of a teapot and shattered into a billion pieces, raining rubble over the city. That was a shrine to Artemis, Talia grumbled. Who'll pay for that? We were running along the marble archway with the huge stones of stat with the huge statues of Zeus and Hera when the entire mountain groaned, rocking sideways like a boat in a storm. Look out! Grover yelped. The archway crumbled. I looked up in time to see a twenty-ton scowling Hera topple over onto us. Annabeth and I would have been flattened, but Talia shoved us from behind and we landed just out of danger. Talia! Grover cried. When the dust cleared and the mountain stopped rocking, we found her still alive, but her legs were pinned under the statue. We tried desperately to move it, but it would have taken several cyclopes. When we tried to pull Talia out from under it, she yelled in pain. I survived all those battles, and I'll get defeated by a stupid chunk of rock. It's Hera, Annabeth said in outrage. She's had it out for me all year. Her statue would have killed me if you hadn't pushed us away. Talia grimaced. Why don't you stand there? I'll be fine. Go. We didn't want to leave her, but I could hear Kronos laughing as he approached the Hall of the Gods. More buildings exploded. Okay, we'll be back, I promised. I'm not going anywhere. Ugh. Talia groaned. A fireball erupted on the side of the mountain, right near the gates of the palace. We gotta run. I don't suppose that you mean away? Grover murmured hopefully. I sprinted toward the palace. Annabeth right behind me. 
I was afraid of that, Grover sighed and clip-clopped after us. The doors of the palace were big enough to steer a cruise ship through, but they'd been ripped off of their hinges and smashed like they weighed nothing. We had to climb over a huge pile of broken stone and twisted metal to get inside. Kronos stood in the middle of the room. The throne room, his arms wide, staring at the starry ceiling as if taking it all in. His laughter echoed even louder than it had from the pit of Tartarus. <laughs> <laughs> finally! Finally! He bellowed. The Olympian Council, so proud and mighty, which seat of power shall I destroy first? Ethan Nakamura stood to one side, trying to stay out of the way of his master's scythe. The hearth was almost dead, just a few coals glowing deep in the ashes. Hestia was nowhere to be seen. Neither was Rachel. I hoped she was okay, but I had seen so much destruction I was afraid to think about it. The Ophiotaurus swam in his water sphere in the corner of the room, wisely not making a sound. But it wouldn't be long before Kronos noticed him. Annabeth, Grover, and I stepped forward into the torchlight. Ethan saw us first. My lord, he warned. Kronos turned and smiled through Luke's face. Except for the golden eyes, he looked just the same as he had four years ago when he'd welcomed me into the Hermes cabin. Annabeth made a painful sound in the back of her throat, like someone had just sucker-punched her. Shall I destroy you first, Jackson? Kronos asked. Is that the choice that you're going to make? To fight me and die instead of bowing down. Prophecies never end well, you know. Yeah, Luke would fight with a sword, but I suppose you don't have his skill. Kronos sneered. His scythe began to change until he held Luke's old weapon, Backbiter, with its half-steel, half-celestial bronze blade. Next to me, Annabeth gasped like she'd suddenly had an idea. Percy, the blade. She unsheathed her knife. The hero's soul, cursed blade shall reap. I didn't understand why she was reminding me of the prophecy right now. It wasn't exactly a morale booster, but before I could say anything, Kronos raised his sword. Wait! Annabeth yelled. Kronos came at me like a whirlwind. My instincts took over. I dodged and slashed and rolled, but I felt like I was fighting a hundred swordsmen. Ethan ducked to one side, trying to get behind me until Annabeth intercepted him. They started to fight, but I couldn't focus on how she was doing. I was vaguely aware of Grover playing his reed pipes. The sound filled me with warmth and courage. Thoughts of sunlight and a blue sky and a calm meadow somewhere far away from the war. Kronos backed me up against the stone throne of Hephaestus. Kronos backed me up against the throne of Hephaestus, a huge mechanical lazy boy type thing covered with bronze and silver gears. Kronos slashed and I managed to jump straight into the seat. The throne whirred and hummed with secret mechanisms. Defense mode, it warned. Defense mode. 
That couldn't be good. I jumped straight over Kronos' head as the throne shot tendrils of electricity in all directions. One hit Kronos in the face, arcing down his body and up his sword. He crumpled to his knees and dropped backbiter. Annabeth saw her chance. She kicked Ethan out of the way and charged Kronos. Luke, listen! I wanted to shout at her to tell her she was crazy for trying to reason with Kronos, but there was no time. But there was no time. Kronos flicked his hand. Annabeth flew backward, slamming into the throne of her mother, and crumpled to the floor. Annabeth! I screamed. Ethan Nakamura got to his feet. He now stood between Annabeth and me. I couldn't fight him without turning my back on Kronos. Grover's music took on a more urgent tune. He moved toward Annabeth, but he couldn't go any faster and keep up the song. Grass grew on the floor of the stone room. Grass grew on the floor of the throne room. Tiny roots crept up between the cracks of the marble stones. Kronos rose to one knee. His hair smoldered. His face was covered with electrical burns. He reached for his sword, but this time it didn't fly into his hands. Nakamura, it's time to prove yourself. You know Jackson's secret weakness. Kill him, and you'll have rewards beyond measure. Ethan's eyes dropped to my midsection, and I was sure he knew. Even if he couldn't kill me himself, all he had to do was tell Kronos. There was no way I could defend myself forever. Ah, look around you, Ethan. The end of the world. Is this, is this the reward that you want? You really want everything destroyed? The good with the bad? Everything? Grover was almost to Annabeth now. The grass thickened on the floor. The roots were almost a foot long, like a stubble of whiskers. There's no throne to Nemesis, Ethan muttered. No throne to my mother. That's right, Kronos said, and tried to get up, but stumbled. Above his left ear, a patch of blonde hair still smoldered. Strike them down! They deserve to suffer! You said your mom was the goddess of balance, I reminded him. The minor gods deserve better, Ethan, but total destruction isn't balance. Kronos doesn't build, he only destroys. Ethan looked at the sizzling throne of Hephaestus. Grover's music kept playing, and Ethan swayed to it as if the song were filling him with nostalgia. A wish to see a beautiful day, to be anywhere but here. His good eye blinked. Then he charged, but not at me. While Kronos was still on his knees, Ethan brought down his sword onto the Titan Lord's neck. It should have killed him instantly, but the blade shattered. Ethan fell back, grasping his stomach. A shard of his own blade had ricocheted and pierced his armor. Kronos rose unsteadily, towering over his servant. Treason! He snarled. Grover's music kept playing and the grass grew around Ethan's body. Ethan stared at me, his face tight with pain. Deserve better if they just had thrones... Kronos stomped his foot, and the floor ruptured around Ethan Nakamura. The son of Nemesis fell through a fissure that went straight through the heart of the mountain, straight 
into open air. So much for him. Kronos picked up his sword. Now for the rest of you. My only thought was to keep him away from Annabeth. Grover was at her side now. He'd stopped playing and was feeding her ambrosia. Everywhere Kronos stepped, the roots wrapped around his feet, but Grover had stopped his magic too early. The roots weren't thick enough or strong enough to do much more than annoy the titan. We fought through the hearth, kicking up coals and sparks. Kronos slashed an armrest off of the throne of Ares, which is okay by me. But then he backed me up to my dad's throne. Oh, yes. This one will make fine kindling for my new hearth. Our blades clashed in a shower of sparks. He was stronger than me, but for the moment, I felt the power of the ocean in my arms. I pushed him back and struck again, slashing Riptide across his, bless slashing Riptide across his breastplate so hard I cut a gash in the celestial bronze. He stamped his foot again, and time slowed. I tried to attack, but I was moving at the speed of a glacier, Kronos backed up leisurely, catching his breath. He examined the gash in his armor while I struggled forward, silently cursing him. He could take all the timeouts he wanted. He could freeze me in place at will. My only hope was that the effort was draining him. If I could wear him down. It's too late, Percy Jackson. Behold. He pointed to the hearth and the coals glowed. A sheet of white smoke poured from the fire, forming images like an iris message. I saw Nico and my parents down Fifth Avenue fighting a hopeless battle, ringed in enemies. In the background, Hades fought from his black chariot, summing wave after wave of zombies out of the ground, but the forces of the Titan's army seemed just as endless. Meanwhile, Manhattan was being destroyed. Mortals, now fully awake, were running in terror. Cars swerved and crashed. The scene shifted, and I saw something even more terrifying. A column of storm was approaching the Hudson River, moving rapidly over the Jersey Shore. Chariots circled it, locked in combat with the creature in the cloud. The gods attacked, lightning flashed, arrows of gold and silver streaked into the cloud like rocket tracers and exploded. Slowly... The crowd, slowly, the cloud ripped apart, and I saw Typhon clearly for the first time. I knew as long as I lived, which might not be that long, I would never be able to forget the image in my mind. Typhon's head shifted constantly. Every moment he was a different monster, each more horrifying than the last. Looking at his face would have driven me insane, so I focused on his body, which wasn't much better. He was humanoid, but his skin reminded me of a meatloaf sandwich that had been locked in someone's locker all year. He was mottled green, with blisters the size of buildings and blackened patches from eons of being stuck under a volcano. His hands were human, but with talons like an eagle's. His legs were scaly and reptilian. The Olympians are given their final effort. <laughs> yeah. How pathetic. Zeus threw a thunderbolt from his chariot. The blast lit up the world. 
I could feel the shock even here on Olympus, but when the dust cleared, Typhon was still standing. He staggered a bit, with a smoking crater on top of his misshapen head, but he roared in anger and kept advancing. My limbs began to loosen up. Kronos didn't seem to notice. His attention was focused on the fight and his final victory. If I could hold out a few more seconds, and if my dad kept his word... Typhon stepped into the Hudson River and barely sank to mid-calf. Now, I thought, imploring the image in the smoke. Please, it has to happen now. Like a miracle, a conch horn sounded from the smoky picture. The call of the ocean. The call of Poseidon. All around Typhon, the Hudson River erupted, churning with forty-foot waves. Out of the water burst a new chariot, this one pulled by massive hippocampi who swam in the air as easily as in water. My father, glowing with a blue aura of power, rode a defiant circle around the giant's legs. Poseidon was no longer an old man. He looked like himself again, tan and strong with a black beard. As he swung his trident, the river responded, making a funnel cloud around the monster. No! No! Kronos bellowed after a moment of stunned silence. Now, my brethren! Poseidon's voice was so loud, I wasn't sure if I was hearing it from the smoke image or all the way across town. Strike for Olympus! Warriors burst out of the river, riding the waves on huge sharks and dragons and seahorses. It was a legion of cyclopes, and leading them into battle. Tyson! I yelled. I knew he couldn't hear me, but I stared at him in amazement. He'd magically grown in size. He had to be 30 feet tall, as big, of as big as any of his older cousins, and for the first time, he was wearing full battle armor. Riding behind him was Briares, the hundred-handed one. All the Cyclopes held huge lengths of black iron chains, big enough to anchor a battleship with grappling hooks at the ends. They swung them like lassos and began to ensnare Typhon, throwing lines around the creature's legs and arms, using the tide to keep circling, slowly tangling him. Typhon shook and roared and yanked at the chains, pulling some of the cyclopes off of their mounts. But there were too many chains. The sheer weight of the cyclops' battalion began to weigh Typhon down. Poseidon threw his trident and impaled the monster in the throat. Golden blood... Immortal Ichor spewed from the wound, making a waterfall taller than a skyscraper. The trident flew back to Poseidon's hand. The other gods struck with renewed force. Ares rode in and stabbed Typhon in the nose. Artemis shot the monster in the eye with a dozen silver arrows. Apollo shot a blazing arrow. Oh, Apollo shot a blazing volley of... Now, what's happened here? Hold on. Artemis shot the monster in the eye with a dozen silver arrows. Apollo shot a blazing volley of arrows and set the monster's loincloth on fire. And Zeus kept pounding the giant with lightning, until finally, slowly, the water rose, wrapping Typhon like a cocoon, and he began to sink under the weight of the chains. Typhon bellowed in agony, thrashing with such force that the waves sloshed the Jersey Shore, soaking five-story buildings and splashing over the George Washington Bridge. But down he went, as my dad opened a special tunnel for him at the bottom of the river. An endless water slide that would take him straight to Tartarus. The giant's head went under a seething whirlpool, and he was gone. Ah! Ah!
Kronos screamed. He slashed his sword through the smoke, tearing the image to shreds. They're on their way! You've lost! I haven't even started! He advanced with blinding speed. Grover, brave, stupid satyr that he was, tried to protect me, but Kronos tossed him aside like a ragdoll. I sidestepped and jabbed under Kronos' guard. It was a good trick. Unfortunately, Luke knew it. He countered the strike and disarmed me using one of the first moves he had ever taught me. My sword skittered across the ground and fell straight into the open fissure. Stop! Annabeth came from nowhere. Kronos whirled to face her and slashed with backbiter, but somehow Annabeth caught the strike on her dagger hilt. It was a move only the quickest and most skilled knife fighter could have managed. Don't ask me where she found the strength, but she stepped in closer for leverage. Their blades crossed, and for a moment, she stood face to face with the Titan Lord, holding him at a standstill. Luke, she said, gritting her teeth. I understand now. You have to trust me. Kronos roared in outrage. Luke Castellan is dead. His body will burn away as I assume my true form. I tried to move, but my body was frozen again. How could Annabeth, battered and half dead with exhaustion, have the strength to fight a titan like Kronos? Kronos pushed against her, trying to dislodge his blade, but she held him in check, her arms trembling as he forced his sword down against her neck. Dear mother, Annabeth grunted, she saw your fate. Service to Kronos, the titan roared. That is my fate. No, Annabeth insisted. Her eyes were tearing up, but I didn't know if it was from sadness or pain. That's not the end, Luke. The prophecy. She saw what you would do. It applies to you. I will crush you, child! Kronos bellowed. You won't, Annabeth said. You promised. You're holding Kronos back even now. Lies! Kronos pushed again, and this time Annabeth lost her balance. With his free hand, Kronos struck her in the face and she slid backwards. I summoned all my will. I managed to rise, but it was like holding the weight of the sky again. Kronos loomed over Annabeth, his sword raised. Blood trickled from the corner of her mouth. She croaked. Family, Luke, you promised... I took a painful step forward. Grover was back on his feet, over by the throne of Hera, but he seemed to be struggling to move as well. Before either of us could get anywhere close to Annabeth, Kronos staggered. He stared at the knife in Annabeth's hand, the blood on her face. Promise? Then he gasped like he couldn't get air. Annabeth. But it wasn't the Titan's voice, it was Luke's. He stumbled forward like he couldn't control his own body. You're bleeding. My knife. Annabeth tried to raise her dagger, but it clattered out of her hand. Her arm was bent at a funny angle. She looked at me, imploring. Percy, please. 
I could move again. I surged forward and scooped up the knife. I knocked Backbiter out of Luke's hand and it spun toward the hearth. Luke hardly paid me any attention. He stepped toward Annabeth, but I put myself between him and her. Don't touch her, I said. Anger rippled across his face. Kronos' voice growled, Jackson. Was it my imagination, or was his whole body glowing, turning to gold? <sighs> He's changing. Help. Help. He's almost ready. He's not going to need my body anymore. Please. No! Kronos bellowed. He looked around for his sword, but it was on the hearth, glowing among the coals. He stumbled toward it. I tried to stop him, but he pushed me out of the way with such force I landed next to Annabeth and cracked my head at the base of Athena's throne. The knife. Percy. Annabeth muttered. Her breath was shallow. Hero. Cursed. Blade. When my vision came back into focus, I saw Kronos grasping his sword. Then he bellowed in pain and dropped it. His hands were smoking and seared. The hearth fire had grown red hot like the scythe wasn't compatible with it. I saw an image of Hestia flickering in the ashes, frowning at Kronos with disapproval. Luke turned and collapsed, clutching his ruined hands. Please. Percy. I struggled to my feet. I moved toward him with the knife. I should kill him. That was the plan. Luke seemed to know what I was thinking. He moistened his lips. You... you can't... can't do it yourself. He'll break my control. He'll defend himself. Only my hand. I know where. I, I, I can... I can keep him controlled. He was definitely starting now. He was definitely glowing now, his skin starting to smoke. I raised the knife to strike. Then I looked at Annabeth, at Grover cradling her in his arms, trying to shield her. And I finally understood what she'd been trying to tell me. You are not the hero, Rachel had said. It will affect what you do. Please, Luke groaned. No time! If Cronus evolved into his true form, there would be no stopping him. He would make Typhon look like a playground bully. The line from the great prophecy echoed in my head. A hero's soul, cursed blade shall reap. My whole world tipped upside down, and I gave the knife to Luke. Grover yelped. Percy, are you, um... Crazy? Insane? Off my rocker? Probably. But I watched as Luke grasped the hilt. I stood before him, defenseless. He unlatched the side straps of his armor, exposing a small bit of his skin just under his left arm, a place that would have been very hard to hit. With difficulty, he stabbed himself. It wasn't a deep cut, but Luke howled. His eyes glowed like lava. The throne room shook, throwing me off my feet. 
An aura of energy surrounded Luke, growing brighter and brighter. I shut my eyes and felt a force like a nuclear explosion blister my skin and crack my lips. It was silent for a long time. When I opened my eyes, I saw Luke sprawled at the hearth. On the floor around him was a blackened circle of ash. Kronos's scythe had liquefied into molten metal and was trickling into the coals of the hearth, which now glowed like a blacksmith's furnace. Luke's left side was bloody. His eyes were open, blue eyes, the way they used to be. His breath was a deep rattle. Good blade, he croaked. I knelt next to him. Annabeth limped over with Grover's support. They both had tears in their eyes. Luke gazed at Annabeth. You knew. I almost killed you, but you knew. Shh. Her voice trembled. You were a hero at the end, Luke. You'll go to Elysia. He shook his head weakly. Think. Rebirth. Try for three times. Isles of the blessed. Annabeth sniffled. You always pushed yourself too hard. He held up his charred hand. Annabeth touched his fingertips. Did you... <coughs> Luke coughed and his lips glistened red. Did you love me? Annabeth wiped her tears away. There was a time when I thought... Well, I thought... She looked at me like she was drinking in the fact that I was still here. And I realized I was still doing the same thing. The world was collapsing, and the only thing that really mattered to me was that she was alive. You were like a brother to me, Luke, she said softly. But I didn't love you. He nodded as if he'd expected it. He winced in pain. We can get ambrosia, Grover said. We can... Grover. <clears throat> You're the bravest satyr I ever knew. But no, there's no healing. <coughs> he gripped my sleeve and I could feel the heat of his skin like a fire. Ethan, me, all, all the unclaimed, don't, don't let it, let it happen again. His eyes were angry, but pleading too. I won't, I said. I promise. 
Luke nodded, and his hand went slack. The gods arrived a few minutes later in their full war regalia, thundering into the throne room and expecting a battle. What they found were Annabeth, Grover, and me, standing over the body of a broken half-blood in the dim, warm light of the hearth. Uh, Percy? My father called, awe in his voice. What? What is this? I turned and faced the Olympians. We need a shroud, I announced, my voice cracking. A shroud for the son of Hermes. That is the end of our first chapter for the day. Six, Kid 64, I might be with you on this one. That there's a, It's a hard sell for me. But it's complicated. I, I, think, I'm, I think I'm with it's, It is complicated, but I think I'm with you on this one. Dolly says, oof, wow. Wow. Sanders says, does that mean that Kronos is dead or just back in Tartarus? A good question. Uh, <laughs> and fortunately, one that will actually be answered uh, in the coming chapters today. Um, Luis says, long chapter. Rollet says, that's crazy. That was certainly our longest chapter of the day. That was about uh, four and a half thousand words. Uh, next one is going to be 4,000 words. And then we've got like a 1,500, 2,300, 1,600. So uh, the latter three are on the shorter end. But... Folks, that is it for chapter one out of the five that we're reading today. So stick with me here, okay? Um, as a matter of fact, I'm going to sort of check in with chat really briefly, and we're going to roll right into our next chapter because we got a lot of words we're trying to hit today. I try to keep it about 12,000. We often run in at about 11,000. Today we're trying for 14,000 words. Let's do it! Okay, Luis says, chicken counting. Uh, chicken counting time, I may miss the next chapter. That is quite all right, Luis. Um, I think you've, I mean, you've caught the, the big, big moment here, haven't you? Now it's just a matter of, well, what happens now? How does Percy try to make good on his promise not to let this happen again? Um, for anyone who is just catching up with us, yes, we have just read kind of the, the, the big climax of this book. And so if you don't want to have stuff spoiled for you, if you really want to go and experience that, I would say hold off. Um, these uh, chapters are going to be going up on roughly Mondays. I'm going to try and do it even sooner than that if I can once I get into a better schedule. But right now I'm, I'm going to say they will absolutely be up on Spotify before um, – uh, before the next stream. So I guess that's not going to matter for a, for this particular one because this is the last stream of this series. But those will be up on Spotify very soon. And of course, you can watch these on um, uh, here on Twitch for two weeks after the fact. Okay. All right. Um, Sanders says, it makes sense that this is the way he goes because of how much we learned about Luke's background. I think it does. And I think I think it is a good thing that, that Luke has done here. I think Luke made the made the right choice in this moment um but it is I, you know i i do consider i don't know if i can consider like this is a whole war that that wouldn't have gone down without luke's involvement uh might there be ways to improve the world sort of 
after this war? Yes, potentially, but I also don't consider, like, I, I think a lot of people sort of look at, at big moments of conflict and say, like, oh, look, okay, we can build back after this and we can build back uh, and, and, and do better. And I, I will agree with that. I think if you have an opportunity to do better, do it. But don't wait for a war to be that opportunity. Does that make sense? I hope that it does. Rolex says, I definitely did not think it would go down that way. I figured Luke would regret it, but not that he would basically be the hero. Yeah, and it seems like that is how, that is how they are looking at this. I, I do think he did a heroic thing here at the end, but does that make him the hero? I don't know. I, I, I feel like the answer is no, but, you know, let's, uh, let's keep reading. Maybe, maybe we'll have some more information, uh, and maybe this is just one that uh, will be tough to agree on. So, there's that. Uh, a bit of review. I want to say thank you very much, by the way, to everyone who's joined us here. Uh, MMP, I see that you have ducked in as well. Uh, Jade, Sander, Gertie, you, you, um, over on Discord, and uh, MMP. And then Midwest Millennial, Luis, Sander, Rollit, uh, Dahlia, Kid64, Big Mama. Big Mama! How's it going? Okay, folks, uh, a bit of review. The climax of this book, um, chapter 19. The big thing happens. It is the battle between... Uh, Percy and Kronos? Percy and Luke? Bit of a tough question. It's the one we've been waiting for. Uh, Typhon has reached essentially New York City, this enormous monstrosity, bigger than anything we've ever seen, bigger even than uh, it seems like Kronos is, um, but more bestial, more feral. Um, it arrives at New York. Poseidon comes through on his promise to, or or or, or Perse, he comes through on Percy's sort of plan to uh, abandon the ocean and instead come and defend the true home of the gods. Um, and uh, this is this is what it all comes down to. As they are sort of fighting Typhon, and as they manage to defeat Typhon and drag Typhon back into Tartarus, uh, or back into Tartarus, down I think down into Tartarus because he wasn't in. Tartarus before, he was in a mountain before. Um, uh, Mount St. Helens, I believe, right? Anyhow. Um, but this is the big fight. Uh, Grover, Percy, and Annabeth, essentially, versus mostly Kronos and Ethan Nakamura. Um, Ethan decides at the very last moment to betray Kronos um, and uh, try to attack. Does not work very well, and Ethan is sort of plunged into a hole and just sort of plummets. Uh, we don't see him again here. Um Percy fights Kronos, and during this fight, um, he uh, Annabeth seems to have some sort of revelation. Something about the Cursed Blade, something about the Olympian, something about uh, Percy not being the hero. And as they put it together, as, as we watch Luke fight Kronos from within, we find out, okay, this, this decision being made by a hero, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't uh, Percy, it wasn't Annabeth, it was Luke. So, uh, Luke makes the decision to try and fight here, and Luke, because Luke is sort of within Kronos and knows um, where the weak spot is after Kronos bathed in the River Styx, uh, he takes uh, the blade that Percy, in a moment of really trusting Annabeth, frankly, uh, in a moment of really trusting Annabeth, he takes the, Luke takes the blade that Percy offers and uh, stabs himself in the special place under the arm uh, that he knows is uh, unprotected by the River Styx, and thereby Luke brings down Kronos. That is the end of Kronos. And uh, as Luke perishes, um, he asks Percy, 
to promise that all these unclaimed children of God's, we don't know precisely what he means, but I think we pretty well know what he means. He asks Percy to promise that this won't happen again. There's that. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for joining me. My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. What do we do here? Stories, if you had not guessed. Uh, if you want to find out more about the channel, go ahead and use the links command. It'll bring up the uh, link to share and the link to go to, especially head into the Discord. That's where we do all of our midweek discussion and uh, all of my new, all of my updates, everything. That's the hub. That's the garage right there. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you're new around here, uh, and you like this sort of thing, especially if you like The Hunger Games, because that is our next series, go ahead and drop a follow, and we'll see you uh, starting next week. Y'all ready for the next chapter? Let's do this thing. Chapter 20. We win fabulous prizes. The three fates themselves took Luke's body. I hadn't seen the old ladies in years, since I'd witnessed them snip a life thread from the roadside fruit stand when I was twelve. They'd scared me then, and they scared me now. Three ghoulish grandmothers with bags of knitting needles and yarn... One of them looked at me, and even though she didn't say anything, my life literally flashed before my eyes. Suddenly I was twenty. Then I was a middle-aged man. Then I turned old and withered. All the strength left my body, and I saw my own tombstone in an open grave, a coffin being lowered into the ground. All of this happened in less than a second. It is done, she said. The fate held up the snippet of blue yarn, and I knew it was the same one I had seen four years ago, the lifeline I had watched them snip. I had thought it was my life. Now I realized it was Luke's. They'd been showing me that the life that would have to be sacrificed to set things right was his. They gathered up Luke's body, now wrapped in a white and green shroud, and began carrying it out of the throne room. Wait, Hermes said. The messenger god was dressed in his classic outfit of white Greek robes, sandals, and helmet. The wings of his helm fluttered as he walked. The snakes, George and Martha, curled around his caduceus, murmuring, Luke, I thought about May Castellan, alone in her kitchen, baking cookies and making sandwiches for a son who would never come home. Hermes unwrapped Luke's face and kissed his forehead. He murmured some words in ancient Greek, a final blessing. Farewell, he whispered. And he nodded and allowed the fates to carry his son's body away. As they left, I thought about the great prophecy. The lines now made sense to me. 
The hero's soul cursed blade shall reap. The hero was Luke. The cursed blade was the knife he had given Annabeth long ago, cursed because Luke had broken his promise and betrayed his friends. A single choice shall end his days, my choice, to give him the knife and to believe, as Annabeth had, that he was still capable of setting things right. Olympus to preserve or raise. By sacrificing himself, he had saved Olympus. Rachel was right. In the end, I wasn't really the hero. Luke was. And I understood something else. When Luke had descended into the River Styx, he would have had to focus on something important that would hold him to his mortal life. Otherwise, he would have been dissolved. I had seen Annabeth, and I had a feeling he had too. He had pictured that scene Hestia showed me, of himself in the good old days with Talia and Annabeth, when he promised they would be a family. Hurting Annabeth in battle had shocked him into remembering that promise. It had allowed his mortal conscience to take over again, to defeat Kronos. His weak spot, his Achilles' heel, had saved us all. Next to me, Annabeth's knees buckled. I caught her, but she cried out in pain, and I realized I had grabbed her broken arm. Oh, gods, I said. Annabeth, I'm sorry. It's all right, she said as she passed out in my arms. She needs help, I yelled. I've got this. Apollo stepped... Apollo? What? Apollo stepped forward. His fiery armor was so bright it was hard to look at, and his matching Ray-Bans and perfect smile made him look like a male model for battle gear. God of medicine, at your service! He passed his hand over Annabeth's face and spoke in incantation. Immediately the bruises faded. Her cuts and scars disappeared. Her arms straightened and she sighed in her sleep. Apollo grinned. She'll be fine in a few minutes. Just enough time for me to compose a poem about our victory. Apollo and his friends save Olympus. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? Eh, thanks, Apollo. I think I'll, uh, I'll let you handle the poetry. The next few hours were a blur. I remembered my promise to my mother. Zeus didn't even blink an eye when I told him my strange request. He snapped his fingers and informed me that the top of the Empire State Building... He snapped his fingers and informed me that the top of the Empire State Building was now lit up blue. Most mortals would just have to wonder what it meant, but my mom would know. I had survived. Olympus was saved. The gods set about repairing the throne room, which went surprisingly fast with twelve super-powerful beings at work. Grover and I cared for the wounded, and once the Sky Bridge reformed, we greeted our friends who had survived. The Cyclopes had saved Talia from the fallen statue. She was on crutches, but otherwise she was okay. Connor and Travis Stoll had made it through with only minor injuries. They promised me they hadn't even looted the city much. They told me my parents were fine, though they weren't allowed into Mount Olympus. Mrs. O'Leary had dug Chiron out of the rubble and rushed him off to camp. The Stoles had looked kind of worried about the old centaur, but at least he was alive. 
Katie Gardner reported that she'd seen Rachel Elizabeth Dare run out of the Empire State Building at the end of the battle. Rachel had looked unharmed, but nobody knew where she had gone, which also troubled me. Nico D'Angelo came into Olympus to a hero's welcome. His father right behind him, despite the fact that Hades was only supposed to visit Olympus on winter solstice. The gods of the dead, the god of the dead, looked stunned when his relatives clapped him on the back. I doubt he'd ever received such an enthusiastic welcome before. Clarice marched in, still shivering from her time in the ice block, and Ares bellowed, uh, Where's my girl? Hey, there's my girl! The god of war ruffled her hair and pounded her on the back, calling her the best warrior he'd ever seen. <laughs> that Dracon slaying, that's what I'm talking about! She looked pretty overwhelmed. All she could do was nod and blink like she was afraid he'd start hitting her, but eventually she began to smile. Hera and Hephaestus passed me, and while Hephaestus was a little grumpy about my jumping on his throne, he thought I'd done a pretty bang-up job, mostly. Hera sniffed in disdain. I suppose I won't destroy you and that little girl now. Annabeth saved Olympus, I told her. She convinced Luke to stop Kronos. Hmm. Kira whirled away in a huff, but I figured our lives would be safer. At least for a little while. Dionysus's head was still wrapped up in a bandage. He looked up at me and said, Oh, he looked me up and down and said, Oh, well, Percy Jackson, I see Pollock's made it through, so I suppose you aren't completely inept. It's all thanks to my training, I suppose. Uh, yes, sir. Mr. D nodded. And thanks for the bravery. As thanks for my bravery, Zeus has cut my probation at that miserable camp in half. How would he say that word? Miserable camp? Camp, there we go. <laughs> Sorry, gang. As for my bravery... Dang it, I did it again. As thanks for my bravery, Zeus has cut my probation at that miserable camp in half. I now only have 50 years left instead of 100. 50 years, huh? I tried to imagine putting up with Dionysus until I was an old man, assuming I lived that long. Uh, don't get too excited, Jackson, he said, and I realized he was saying my name correctly. I still plan on making your life miserable. I couldn't help smiling. Naturally. Just so we understand one another. He turned and began repairing his grapevine throne, which had been singed by fire. Grover stayed at my side. From time to time he would break down in tears. So many nature spirits dead, Percy. So many. I put my arm around his shoulders and gave him a rag to blow his nose. Hey, you did a great job, G-Man. We will come back from this. We'll plant new trees, we'll clean up the parks. Your friends are going to be reincarnated into a better world. He sniffed dejectedly. I, I suppose. But it was hard enough to rally them before. I'm still an outcast. I could barely get anyone to listen to me about Pan. Now will they ever listen to me again? I led them into a slaughter. 
They will listen, I promised. Because you care about them. You care about the wild more than anyone. He tried for a smile. Thanks, Bessie. I I hope you know I'm, I'm really proud to be your friend. I patted his arm. Yeah, Luke was right about one thing, G-Man. You are the bravest satyr I've ever met. He blushed, but before he could say anything, the conch horns blew. The army of Poseidon marched into the throne room. Mmm, Percy, Tyson yelled. He charged toward me with his arms wide open. Fortunately, he'd shrunk back to normal size, so his hug was like getting hit by a tractor and not the entire farm. Mmm, you are mm, not dead, he said. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, huh? He clapped his hands and laughed happily. Mmm, I am not dead either. <laughs> Yay, we chained Typhon. Mmm, it was fun. Behind him, fifty other armored cyclopes laughed and nodded and gave each other high fives. Tyson led us, one rumbled. He is brave. Bravest of the cyclopes, another one bellowed. Tyson blushed. Mmm. 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 Was nothing. I saw you. You were incredible. I thought poor Grover would pass out. He's deathly afraid of Cyclopes. But he steeled his nerves and said, Um, yes, three cheers for Tyson. <laughs> the Cyclopes roared. Please don't eat me, Grover muttered. But I don't think anyone heard him. The conkhorns blasted again. The cyclopes parted, and my father strode into the throne room with his battle armor, his trident glowing in his hands. Tyson, he roared. Well done, my son, and Percy. His face turned stern. He wagged his finger at me, and for a second I thought he was going to zap me. I even forgave you for sitting on my throne. You have saved Olympus, after all. He held out his arms and gave me a hug. I realized, a little embarrassed, that I'd never actually hugged my dad before. He was warm, like a regular human, and he smelled like a salty beach and fresh sea air. When he pulled away, he smiled kindly at me. I felt so good, I admit, I teared up a little bit. I guess until that moment, I hadn't allowed myself to realize just how terrified I had been the last few days. Dad? No heroes above fear, Percy. And you have risen above every hero. Not even Hercules. Poseidon! A voice roared. Zeus had taken his throne. He glared across the room at my dad while the other gods filed in and took their seats. Even Hades was present sitting on a simple stone guest chair at the foot of the hearth. Sitting at a simple stone guest chair at the foot of the hearth. Nico sat cross-legged on the ground at his dad's feet. Well, Poseidon, Zeus grumped, are you too proud to join us in council, my brother? 
I thought Poseidon was going to get mad, but he just looked at me and winked. Yeah, I'd be honored, Lord Zeus. I guess miracles do happen. Poseidon strode over to his fishing seat, and the Olympian Council convened. While Zeus was talking, some long speech about the bravery of the gods, etc., Annabeth walked in and stood next to me. She looked good for someone who had recently passed out. Miss Much? she whispered. Yeah, nobody's planning to kill us so far, I whispered back. First time today. I cracked up, but Grover nudged me because Hero was giving us a dirty look. As for my brothers, Zeus said, we are thankful. He cleared his throat like the words were hard to get out. Thankful for the aid of Hades. The Lord of the Dead nodded. He had a smug look on his face, but I figure he'd earned the right. He patted his son Nico on the shoulders, and Nico looked happier than I'd ever seen him. And of course, Zeus continued, though he looked like his pants were smoldering, we must uh, thank uh, Poseidon. I'm sorry, brother. What was that? We must thank Poseidon, without whom it would have been difficult. Difficult? Poseidon asked innocently. Impossible! Impossible to defeat Typhon! The gods muttered agreement and pounded their weapons in approval. Which leaves us, Zeus said. Only the matter of thanking our young demigods, who have defended Olympus so well, even if there are a few dents in my throne. He called Talia forward first, since she was his daughter, and promised her help in filling out the ranks of Artemis's hunters. Artemis herself smiled. You have done well, my lieutenant. You have made me proud, and all those hunters who perished in my service will never be forgotten. They will achieve Elysium, I'm sure. She glared pointedly at Hades. He shrugged. Mm, probably. Artemis glared at him some more. Okay, Hades grumbled. I'll streamline the application process for him. Talia beamed with pride. Thank you. Thank you, my lady. She bowed to the gods, even Hades, and then limped over to stand at Artemis' side. Tyson, son of Poseidon, Zeus called. Tyson looked nervous, but he went to stand in the middle of the council, and Zeus grunted. It didn't miss him many meals, does it? Zeus muttered. Tyson, for your bravery in the war, and for leading the Cyclops, you are appointed a general to the armies of Olympus. You shall henceforth lead your brethren into war wherever required by the gods. And you shall have a new... Uh, uh, what, what kind of weapon would you like? A sword? An axe? Hmm... Stick, Tyson said, showing his broken club. Very well, Zeus said. We'll grant you a new stick. The, the best stick that may be found. Mmm, hooray, Tyson cried, and the Cyclops cheered and pounded him on the back as he rejoined them. 
Grover Underwood are the satyrs, Dionysus called. Grover came forward nervously. I stopped chewing on your shirt. Honestly, I'm not going to blast you. For your bravery and service. Blah, 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 blah. And since we've got an unfortunate vacancy, the gods have seen fit to name your member of the Council of Cloven Elders. Grover collapsed on the spot. Oh, yeah, wonderful. Dionysus sighed as several naiads came forward to help Grover. Oh, when he wakes up, somebody tell him he's no longer going to be an outcast, and that all the satyrs and naiads and other spirits and nature will henceforth treat him as a lord of the wild with all the rights and privileges and honour and blah and blah. Now, please drag him off before he wakes up and starts groveling. Food! Grover moaned, and the nature spirits carried him away. I figured he'd be okay. He would wake up as a lord of the wild, and a bunch of beautiful naiads would take care of him. Life could be worse. Athena called, Annabeth Jace, my own daughter. Annabeth squeezed my arm and then walked forward and knelt at her mother's feet. Athena smiled. You, my daughter, have exceeded all expectations. You have used your wits, your strength, and your courage to defend the city and our seats of power. It has come to our attention that Olympus is... trashed. The Titan Lord did much damage that will have to be repaired. We could rebuild it by magic, of course, and make it just as it was. But the gods feel that the city could be improved. We will take this as an opportunity, and you, my daughter, will design these improvements. Annabeth looked up, stunned. My... my lady... Annabeth. Athena smiled wryly. You are an architect, are you not? You have studied the techniques of Daedalus himself. Who better to redesign Olympus and make it a monument that will last... Another eon. You mean I, I can design whatever I want? As your heart desires. Make us a city for the ages. As long as you've got plenty of statues of me, Apollo added. And me, Aphrodite agreed. Hey, yeah, and me. Big statues, huge wicked swords. All right, Athena interrupted. She gets the point. Rise, my daughter, official architect of Olympus. Annabeth rose in a trance and walked back toward me. <laughs> hey, way to go, I told her, grinning. For once, she was at a loss for words. I'll, I'll have to start planning. Uh, uh, drafting paper, uh, pencils, and... Percy Jackson, Poseidon announced. My name echoed around the chamber. All talking died down. The room was silent except for the crackle of the hearth fire. Everyone's eyes were on me. All the gods, the demigods, the cyclopes, the spirits. I walked into the middle of the throne room. Hestia smiled at me reassuringly. She was in the form of a girl now and she seemed happy and content to be sitting by her fire again. 
Her smile gave me courage to keep walking. First, I bowed to Zeus. And then I knelt at my father's feet. Rise, my son, Poseidon said. I stood uneasily. A great hero must be rewarded. Is there anyone here who would deny that my son is deserving? I waited for someone to pipe up. The gods never agreed on anything, and many of them still didn't like me, but not a single one protested. The council agrees. Percy Jackson, you will have one gift from the gods. I hesitated. Any gift? Zeus nodded grimly. I know what you will ask. The greatest gift of all. Yet if you want it, it shall be yours. The gods have not bestowed this gift upon a mortal hero for many centuries. But, Perseus Jackson, if you wish it, you shall be made a god. Immortal, undying, you shall serve as your father's lieutenant for all time. I stared at him, stunned. Um, a god? Zeus rolled his eyes. A dim-witted god, apparently, but yes, with the consensus of the entire council, I can make you immortal, and then we'll have to put up with you forever. Hmm, Ares mused. That means I can smash him to a pulp as often as I want to, and he's just going to keep coming back for more, huh? Yeah, I like that idea. I approve as well. Athena said, though she was looking at Annabeth. I glanced back. Annabeth was trying not to meet my eyes. Her face was pale. I flashed back to two years ago when I thought she was going to take the pledge to Artemis and become a hunter. I'd been on the edge of a panic attack, thinking that I'd lose her. Now she looked pretty much the same way. I thought about the three fates and the way I'd seen my life flash by. I could avoid all of that. No aging, no death, no body in the grave. I could be a teenager forever, in top condition, powerful and immortal, serving my father. I could have power and eternal life. Who could refuse that? And then I looked at Annabeth again. I thought about my friends from camp. Charles Beckendorf, Michael Yu, Selena Beauregard, so many others who were now dead. I thought about Ethan Nakamura and Luke. And I knew what to do. Nope, I said. The council was silent. The gods frowned at each other like they must have misheard. No, no. You're, you're turning down our generous gift. There was a dangerous edge to his voice, like a thunderstorm about to erupt. I'm honored in everything. Don't get me wrong. It's just, I got a lot of life left to live. I'd hate to peak in my sophomore year. The gods were still glaring at me, but Annabeth had her hand over her mouth. 
Her eyes were shining, and that kind of made up for it. I do want a gift, though. Do you promise to grant my wish? Zeus thought about this. If it's within our power. It is, and it's not even difficult. But I need your promise on the river Styx. What? Dionysus cried. You don't trust us. As somebody once told me, I said, looking at Hades, you should always get a solemn oath. Hades shrugged. Guilty. And are you very well? Zeus growled. In the name of the council, we swear by the river Styx to grant your reasonable request, as long as it's in within our power. The other gods murmured assent. Thunder boomed, shaking the throne room. The deal was made. Hold on, sorry. There's a, a horn going outside. And from now on, I want you to properly recognize the children of the gods. All the children of all gods. The Olympians shifted uncomfortably. Percy, my father said, what exactly do you mean? Kronos couldn't have risen if it hadn't been for a lot of demigods who felt abandoned by their parents. They felt angry and resentful and unloved, and they had a good reason. Zeus's royal nostrils flared. You dare to accuse? No more undetermined children. I want you to promise to claim your children, all of your demigod children, by the time they turn 13. They won't be left out in the world on their own at the mercy of monsters. I want them claimed and brought to camp so they can be trained right and survive. Uh, now, <laughs> like, okay, wait just a moment, Apollo said, but I was on a roll. And the minor gods, Nemesis, Hecate, Morpheus, Janus, Hebe, they all deserve a, a general amnesty and a place at Camp Half-Blood. Their children shouldn't be ignored. Calypso and the other peaceful titan kind should be pardoned too. And Hades... Are you calling me a minor god? Hades bellowed. No, no, my lord, I said quickly. But your children should not be left out. They should have a cabin at camp. Nico has proven that. No unclaimed demigods are going to be crammed in the Hermes cabin anymore, wondering who their parents are. They're going to have their own cabins for all the gods, and, and no more packed to the big three. That didn't work anyway. You've got to stop trying to get rid of powerful demigods. We're going to train them and accept them instead. All the children of the gods will be welcomed and treated with respect. That, that's my wish. Zeus snorted. <laughs> Is that all? Percy, Poseidon said, You ask much. You presume much. I, I hold you to your oath. All of you. I got a lot of steely looks. Strangely, it was Athena who spoke up. The boy is correct. We have been unwise to ignore our children. It proved a strategic weakness in this war and almost caused our destruction. Percy Jackson, I have had my doubts about you, but perhaps... She glanced at Annabeth and then spoke as if the words had a sour taste. Perhaps I was mistaken. 
I move that we accept the boy's plan. <laughs> I've been told what to do by a mere child. Uh, but I suppose. Mm. All in favor? Hermes said. All the gods raised their hands. Um, yeah, thanks, I said. I turned, but before I could leave, Poseidon called out, Honor guard. Immediately, the Cyclopes came forward and made two lines from the throne to the door, an aisle for me to walk through. They came to attention. Mmm, all hail, mmm, Perseus Jackson, mmm, hero of Olympus, mmm, mmm, and my big brother. That's it, folks. That is the end of our second chapter for today. Out of five chapters, I'm going to take a break. It's going to be a five-minute break. I'm going to come back. We're going to do a tiny bit of review, and then we're going to cruise on through these remaining three chapters. Everyone, today, it's the last day of Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Welcome to the finale. Uh, if you're wondering what we're going to get up to after this, well, next week, I plan to launch immediately into... The Hunger Games. So I hope you'll join me for that. I'm excited. It's uh, it's it's one that actually like, it means some stuff to me. You know, it wasn't one that I like. I felt like I you know connected with at this deep deep level. But it was it is important to me in a couple of frankly kind of odd and interesting ways. So perhaps we will talk about that later on. Uh, everyone, I'm gonna take a quick five minute break. But first, a bit of a chatter break. So here is my question. How are the gods, and I wouldn't say the gods as a whole, but maybe individual gods, how are they going to respond to this oath that they have taken, to recognize all of their children? And how is that recognition going to change the world and camp as it comes out of this? I know that's a huge question, but we're at a huge point in this series, right here at the end. Um, and not just at the end of this series, but at the beginning, potentially, of uh, some of the other ones. Not here on this channel, at least not next, but certainly ones that you can go out and explore and see just how the world and the gods and the other demigods respond to this big oath being, being now born into the world. So... There is that. Um, how do you think they are going to respond to this? How are the gods going to respond to this oath that they have just been uh, sort of ordered by Percy to take? That's the question. I will see you all in five minutes. Bye-bye. folks welcome back okay so we had our chatter break question let's talk about that briefly i see uh sander and rolla and big mama rolling deep in the comments for uh how how are the gods going to react to this promise they've just made um louis says gods haven't always been known to honor their oaths indeed they're got this got this one on the river sticks is that going to change anything but no louise i think you have a an excellent point they're not oath keepers the gods they're they're really some 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 goons up there, aren't they? Bunch of gooses. Uh, because this is of course Thursday, which means this is a family show. Um, so on Thursday, there's some gooses. 
And actually, that's that's pretty well. No, gooses are kind of turds, aren't they? Geese, actual geese, are kind of turds. So I guess we'll let that one ride. Rollitz, <laughs> maybe each god will have a team of satyrs instructed to find children and tell them who their parents are. See, I think logistically, this is not going to be a difficult thing to do. You know, they're gods. They like uh, the the thing that is required of them here is logistically not that tough. Now, maybe there are a lot more children than we know of. Maybe Camp Half-Blood is about to get absolutely enormous. But again, they're gods. Um, and the, the logistics of, like, housing a lot of people. Like, I mean, there's there are abandoned Olympic villages all over the planet. Um, those suckers get made and then abandoned. Uh, that would that would be a, a, a great you know, location to, to house, uh, or like an abandoned, like X games kind of thing. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like a real sort of summer Olympics, uh, an abandoned summer Olympics village someplace on the planet would be an excellent spot for a, a new camp half blood expanded. They can use all that terrain. They can use the half pipes and stuff, uh, and the different courses, uh, for, for training. I think, I mean, and and it's, it's the Olympics, right? Olympic village. You know what? Hey folks, I think I just had the best idea. I think I just had an excellent, excellent idea. As a matter of fact, if I were to ever run a campaign, uh, like a tabletop RPG campaign in this world, I think that's what I would do is it would center on like a new training ground open in an abandoned Olympic village because it's the Olympics. You know, the tradition passed on since this era um, and, uh, you know, absolutely perfect grounds for training demigods to do exactly the things that the Olympics were designed to emulate. That's right. Okay. Well, Sam just had the best idea. Y'all take that and do with it what you will. If somebody wants to take that idea and run someplace else with it, it is yours. I relinquish it freely. Um, uh, just let me know what you do with it because I'm going to be curious to find out. Uh, let's see. But yeah, the, the logistics of that and then just the logistics of like informing them. I mean, Hermes does this for a living. Uh, <laughs> he is God of uh, essentially messages. And, uh, you know, God is Iris. Like, this is not going to be logistically tough. The The difficult thing is going to be to their pride. And if we know one thing about the gods, <laughs> it's that that's not a big deal for them. They have no problem swallowing their pride. <laughs> Sandra says, but an oath on the river sticks equals dead, does it not? Um, it, uh, breaking an oath on the river sticks, does that equal death? Perhaps. What happens is if it's a god who breaks an oath on the river sticks? I don't know. Sandra says, oh, never mind. Google is saying, Sticks, the Oathbreaker, is supposed to be exiled from the Assembly of Gods for 10 years and denied nectar and ambrosia during this time. Interesting. So there are some codified rules for that. Okay, we'll see We'll see what kind of exile we, we see these gods getting into. Um, and also, how do we know, like, well, it says by the time they're 13. So that means if we've got demigods turning 13 without having been claimed by their, their demigod, by their godly parent, then it looks like we've got a 10-year stint coming up, don't we? Uh, uh, Ares or whoever. Rolex says, I feel like that punishment is not worth it when all you have to do is create a sign over their head. So they should stick to it. Yeah, it, it should be, again, logistically, right? If we look at just the facts, just everything on paper, shouldn't be logistically difficult, should not be, uh, it, it certainly is not worth it to break the oath if 10 years is your is your penance. Without nectar or ambrosia, that's a big deal for the gods. But their pride pride though roll it <laughs> big mama says this also opens up the opportunity for the gods who have wanted to be more involved in their children's lives but forbidden prior to this yeah there's a there, i think there's a 
there's definitely going to be some of that. I would be curious to see especially how the big three react to this. Um, the children of, or I should say, the gods themselves, Zeus, Poseidon, Hades, how are they going to react? Are there children they've been like really wanting to claim but couldn't because it would sort of, it would reveal that, yeah, I, I've had some children when I wasn't supposed to. Interesting. Um, let's see. But yeah, they should stick to it, Rollet. I'm with you. Xander says, if a kid is unclaimed, do the other gods know from whom the child comes? And I don't know. I do not know. I'm not sure. That's a great question. A lot of really good questions and good questions like this that don't sort of interrupt the processes and the, the progresses of the characters from this book. This is kind of my favorite territory for sequels. You know, this is something where I, I look forward to a sequel when when I find these new questions that are as fascinating as some of the ones that existed before. But these questions don't call into question like, oh boy, is, is like, like really annoying sequel territory is, okay, we spent five books uh, heading toward this battle with Kronos and then the Kronos' defeat. And then the, if the big question for the next one is, well, maybe Kronos will be back, right? That when the big question undermines the things, the, the questions that were answered for the series, no good. But these are some fun questions, right? These are cool, fun questions. Are the gods going to be able to swallow their pride? Interesting stuff. And I think we've reached the end of this discussion. Uh, thank you, everyone who contributed. Uh, Rollet says, I think it, the for, forget, oh, I think the forbidden to speak with their kids was from the movie. They're generally not allowed to interfere with their quest. Someone please correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the big thing from the text here um, was that basically when they know that they are children of gods, their lives become a lot more dangerous. Um, and uh, so now why weren't they just doing this in the first place? I don't know, but it should be a lot safer to, to tell them that they are children of gods and then to bring them to camp where the gods can sort of focus their protective powers, um, you know, really bolster it. And not only that, but the kids are, they, they know they're not crazy. They know they're actually seeing monsters. Uh, they can be trained and they can be accepted into, into sort of a, a family of sorts. Even if it's not necessarily like, yeah, my dad is Aries and we, uh, you know, every weekend we go and hang out at the arcade for four hours. Uh, even if it's not that, they will at least have a chosen family of, of other campers here that they can connect with. So, this should go fine, right? It should. Will it? No. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Chapter 21. Uh, a, a quick review. Uh, chapters 19 and 20. Chapter 19, the big fight. Turns out uh, Luke does indeed become the hero spoken of in... Um, uh, in the prophecy, he is the one to choose to to stab the spot on himself under the arm that he knows um, is is the weak spot shared by him and Kronos because they're in the same body, um, and uh, he ends up killing Kronos. In chapter 20, um, lots of promises made, lots of gifts given by gods to demigods, and uh, at the very end, Percy requests that his gift be not immortality. They offer it. The gods offer to, to make Percy immortal and make him a god, make him one of the minor gods and he will serve as his father's lieutenant for all time. No, Percy decides instead he wants to, he wants a different promise. He wants all of the gods to swear on the river Styx that they will claim their children by the age of 13. No more unclaimed demigods just wandering around in the world wondering where they come from. And I think that's a great promise to ask for. A great promise. Chapter 21.
Chapter 21. Blackjack gets jacked. Annabeth and I were on our way when I spot Annabeth and I were on our way out when I spotted Hermes in the side courtyard of the palace. He was staring at an iris message in the mist of a fountain. I glanced at Annabeth. I'll meet you by the elevator. Are you sure? And she studied my face. Yeah, you're sure. Hermes didn't notice me approach. The iris messages were going by so fast I could hardly understand them. Mortal newscasts from all over the country flashed by. Scenes of Typhon's destruction and wreckage that our battle had left across Manhattan. The president doing a news conference and the mayor of New York. Some army vehicles riding down the avenue of the Americas. Amazing, Hermes muttered. He turned toward me. In 3,000 years and I will never get over the power of the mist and mortal ignorance. Thanks, I guess. Well, not you. Although I suppose I should wonder. Turning down immortality. It was the right choice. Hermes looked at me curiously, then turned his attention to the iris message. Now look at them. They've already decided Typhon was a freak series of storms. Yet yeah, don't I wish. They haven't figured out how all the statues in Lower Manhattan got removed from their pedestals and hacked to pieces. They keep showing a shot of Susan B. Anthony strangling Frederick Douglass. But I imagine they'll come up with something for that as well. How bad is your city? Hermes shrugged. Surprisingly, not too bad. The mortals are shaken, of course, but this is New York. I've never seen such a resilient bunch of humans. I imagine they'll be back to normal in a few weeks, and, of course, I'll be helping. You? I'm the messenger of the gods. It's my job to monitor what the mortals are saying, and, if necessary, help them to make sense of what's happening. I'll reassure them. Yeah, trust me, they'll put this down to a freak earthquake or a solar flare. Anything but the truth. He sounded bitter. George and Martha curled around his caduceus, but they were silent, which made me think that Hermes was really, really angry. I probably should have kept quiet, but I said, I owe you an apology. Hermes gave me a cautious look. And why is that? I thought you were a bad father, I admitted. I thought you abandoned Luke because you knew his future and didn't do anything to stop it. I did know his future, Hermes said miserably. But you knew more than just the bad stuff. That he'd turn evil. You understood what he would do in the end. You knew he was going to make the right choice, but you couldn't tell him, could you? Hermes stared at the fountain. No one can tamper with fate, Percy, not even a god. If I had warned him what was to come, or tried to influence his decisions, I would have made things even worse. Staying silent? Staying away from him? That was the hardest thing I've ever done. You had to let him find his own path, I said, and play his part in saving Olympus. Hermes sighed. I shouldn't have gotten so mad at Annabeth. When Luke visited her in San Francisco... Well, I knew she would have a part to play in his fate. I foresaw that much. I thought perhaps she could do what I could not. 
and save him. When she refused to go with him, I could barely contain my rage. I should have known better. I was really angry with myself. Annabeth did save him. Luke died a hero. He sacrificed himself to kill Kronos. <laughs> I, I appreciate your words, Percy, but Kronos isn't dead. You can't kill a titan. Well, then... I don't know, Hermes grumbled. None of us do. Blown to dust, scattered to the wind. With luck, he's spread out so thin he'll never be able to form a consciousness again, much less a body. But don't mistake him for dead, Percy. My stomach did a queasy somersault. What about the other titans? In hiding, Hermes said. Prometheus sent Zeus a message with a bunch of excuses for supporting Kronos. I was just trying to minimize the damage, blah, blah, blah. He'll keep his head low for a few centuries if he's smart. Kronos has fled, and Mount Arthur has crumbled into ruins. Oceanus slipped back into the deep ocean when it was clear Kronos had lost. Meanwhile, my son Luke is dead. He died believing I didn't care about him. I'll never forgive myself. Hermes slashed his caduceus through the mist. The iris picture disappeared. A long time ago, you told me that the hardest thing about being a god was not being able to help your children. You told me you couldn't give up on your family no matter how tempting they made it. And now you know I'm a hypocrite. No, you were right. Yeah, Luke loved you. At the end, he realized his fate. I, I, think, I think he realized why you couldn't help him. He remembered what was important. Too late for him and me. You got other children? Honor Luke by recognizing him. All the gods can do that. Hermes' shoulders sagged. They'll try, Percy. Oh, yeah, we'll try to keep our promise. And maybe for a while, things will get better. But we gods have never been good at keeping oaths. You were born because of a broken promise, right? Eventually, we'll become forgetful. We always do. You can change. Hermes laughed. <laughs> After 3,000 years, you think the gods can change their nature? Yeah, I do. Hermes seems surprised by that. You think... You think Luke actually left me after all that happened? I'm sure of it. Hermes stared at the fountain. I'll give you a list of my children. There's a, a boy in Wisconsin, two girls in Los Angeles, a few others. Will you see that they get to camp? I promise. And I won't forget. George and Martha twirled around the caduceus. I know snakes can't smile, but they seem to be trying. Percy Jackson. You might just teach us a thing or two. Another god was waiting for me on the way out of Olympus.
Athena stood in the middle of the road with her arms crossed and a look on her face that made me think, uh-oh. She'd changed out of her armor into jeans and a white blouse, but she didn't look any less warlike. Her gray eyes blazed. Well, Percy, she said, you will stay mortal. Um, uh, yes, ma'am. I would know your reasons. I want to be a regular guy. I want to grow up. Have, you know, like a regular high school experience. And my daughter? I couldn't leave her, I admitted, my throat dry. Or Grover, I added quickly. Or spare me. Athena stepped close to me and I could feel her aura of power making my skin itch. I warned you once, Percy Jackson, that to save a friend you would destroy the world. Perhaps I was mistaken. You seem to have saved both your friends and the world, but think carefully about how you proceed from here. I have given you the benefit of the doubt. Don't mess up. Just to prove her point, she erupted into a column of flame, charring the front of my shirt. Annabeth was waiting for me at the elevator. Why do you smell like smoke? Eh, long story. Together me street. Together we made our way down the street. I read it wrong again. Together we made our way down to the street level. Neither of us said a word. The music was awful. Neil Diamond or something. I should have made that part of my gift from the gods. Better elevator tunes. When we got into the lobby, I found my mother and Paul arguing with the bald security guy who had returned to his post. I'm telling you, we have to go up, my son. Then she saw me and her eyes widened. Oh, Percy. She hugged me. Oh, she hugged the breath right out of me. We saw the building turn blue, but then you didn't come down. You went up hours ago. Yeah, she was getting a little bit anxious, Paul said dryly. I'm all right, I promised as my mom hugged Annabeth. Everything's okay now. Mr. Blofus, Annabeth said, that was wicked sword work. Paul shrugged. Yeah, it seemed like the right thing to do, but Percy, this is really, I, I mean, this story about the 600th floor? Uh, Olympus, yeah. Paul looked at the ceiling with a dreamy expression. I'd like to see that. Paul, my mom chided, it's not for mortals. Anyway, the important thing is that we're safe, all of us. I was about to relax. Everything felt perfect. Annabeth and I were okay. My mom and Paul had survived. Olympus was saved. But the life of a demigod is never so easy. Just then, Nico ran in from the street and his face told me something was wrong. It's Rachel! I just ran into her down 32nd Street. Annabeth frowned. What's she done this time? It's where she's gone. I told her she would die if she tried, but she insisted. She just took Blackjack and... She took my Pegasus? I demanded. Nico nodded. She's heading to Half-Blood Hill. She said she had to get to camp.
that is the end of another chapter. But uh, folks, we're going to keep rolling right on through. Here we go. Chapter 22. Uh, I'm going to check in with chat for sure, but uh, then we're just going to keep rolling into it. Uh, uh, if you want review, um, Kronos is dead. Uh, the gods have promised that they're going to recognize all of their demigod children, and uh, it seems like most folks are safe. Percy has emerged uh, back onto the street and just discovered that... <gasps> what? Huh? Rachel stole his horse? <laughs> Rachel done jacked his ride and took off. Um, Sanders says, she's going to do it. Big Mama says, that's what it felt like the first conversation I had with uh, my son-in-law. Ooh, okay. <laughs> uh, Kid64 says, that's a satyr's job um, in terms of like... Uh, bringing bringing demigod children back to camp but kid 64 i think now it's everybody's job i think to make this happen let's uh let's get all hands on deck um because it's important you know like if a lot of it before was about this the secretiveness of it the 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 satyrs had to go hunt around for them now it's like all right nope we're getting it all out in the open the satyrs are going to be instrumental of course but uh get them get them all on board with this uh tenacious says if all the guys just put a little of their power into protecting the camp it would be the most fortified place ever it wouldn't take much right it didn't seem like it would take a lot not a lot anyway there you go folks Let's keep reading. Chapter 22. I am dumped. Nobody steals my Pegasus. Not even Rachel. I wasn't sure if I was more angry or amazed or worried. What was she thinking? Annabeth said as we ran for the river. Unfortunately, I had a pretty good idea. And it filled me with dread. The traffic was horrible. Everybody was out on the streets gawking at the war zone damage. Police sirens wailed on every block. There was no possibility of catching a cab and the Pegasi had flown away. I would have settled for some party ponies, but they had disappeared along with most of the root beer in Midtown. So we ran, pushing through mobs of dazed mortals that clogged the sidewalks. She'll never get through the defenses. Peleus is going to eat her. I hadn't considered that. The mist wouldn't fool Rachel like it did most people. She'd be able to find the camp, no problem. But I'd been hoping that the magical boundaries would just keep her out like a force field. It hadn't occurred to me that Peleus might attack. We gotta hurry, I glanced at Nico. I don't suppose you could conjure up some skeleton horses? He wheezed as he ran. So tired... I couldn't summon a dog bone. Finally, we scrambled over the embankment to the shore, and I let out a loud whistle. I hated doing it. Even with the sand dollar I'd given the East River for a magic cleaning, the water here was pretty polluted. I didn't want to make any sea animals sick, but they came to my call. Three wake lines appeared in the gray water, and a pod of hippocampi broke the surface. They whinnied unhappily, shaking the river muck from their manes, they were beautiful creatures, with multicolored fish tails and the heads and forelegs of white stallions. The hippocampus in front was much bigger than the others, a ride fit for a cyclops. Hey, Rainbow, I called out. How's you going, buddy? He neighed a complaint. Yeah, I'm sorry, but it's an emergency. We gotta get to camp. He snorted. Tyson? Hey, Tyson's fine. I'm sorry he's not here. He's a big general in the cyclops army. The hippocampus let out a mighty neigh. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to bring you apples. Now, about that ride, 
In no time, Annabeth, Nico, and I were zipping up the East River faster than jet skis. We sped underneath the Throg's Neck Bridge and headed for Long Island Sound. It seemed like forever until we saw the beach at camp. We thanked the hippocampi and waded ashore, only to find Argus waiting for us. He stood in the sand with his arms crossed, his hundred eyes glaring at us. Is she here? I asked. He nodded grimly. Is everything okay? Annabeth said. Argus shook his head. We followed him up the trail. It was surreal being back at camp because everything looked so peaceful. No burning buildings, no wounded fighters. The cabins were bright in the sunshine and the fields glittered with dew. But the place was mostly empty. Up at the big house, something was definitely wrong. Green light was shooting out all the windows, just like I'd seen in my dream about May Castellan. The mist, the magical kind, swirled around my yard. Chiron lay in a horse stretcher. Chiron lay in a horse-sized stretcher at the volleyball pit. A bunch of satyrs standing around him. Blackjack cantered nervously in the grass. Hey, don't blame me, boss. He pleaded when he saw me. The weird girl made me do it. Rachel Elizabeth Dare stood at the bottom of the porch steps. Her arms were raised like she was waiting for someone inside the house to throw her a ball. What is she doing? Annabeth demanded. How did she get past the barriers? She flew, one of the satyrs said, looking accusingly at Blackjack. Right past the dragon, right through the magical boundaries. Rachel, I cried, but the satyr stopped me when I started to go any closer. Percy, don't, Chiron warned. He winced as he tried to move. His left arm was in a sling, his two back legs were in splints, and his head was wrapped in bandages. You can't interrupt. I thought you explained things to her. I did, and I invited her here. I stared at him in disbelief. You said you would never let anyone try again. You said... I know what I said, Percy, but I was wrong. Rachel had a vision about the curse of Hades. She believes it might be lifted now. She convinced me she deserves a chance. And if the curse isn't lifted? If Hades hasn't got to that yet, she's going to go crazy. The mist swirled around Rachel. She shivered like she was going into shock. Hey! Stop! I ran toward her, ignoring the satyrs. I got within ten feet and hit something like an invisible beach ball. I bounced back and landed on the grass. Rachel opened her eyes and turned. She looked like she was sleepwalking, like she could see me, but only in a dream. It's all right. Her voice sounded far away. This is why I've come. You're going to be destroyed! She shook her head. This is where I belong, Percy. I finally understand why. It sounded too much like what May Castellan had said. I had to stop her, but I couldn't even get to my feet. The house rumbled. The door flew open and green light poured out. I recognized the warm, musty smell of snakes. 
Mist curled into a hundred smoky serpents, slithered up the porch columns, curling around the house. Then the oracle appeared in the doorway. The withered mummy shuffled forward in her rainbow dress. She looked even worse than usual, which is saying a lot. Her hair was falling out in clumps. Her leathery skin was cracking like the seat of a worn-out bus. Her glassy eyes stared blankly into space, but I got the creepiest feeling she was being drawn toward Rachel. Rachel held out her hands. She didn't look scared. You've waited too long. But I'm here now. The sun blazed more brightly. A man appeared above the porch, floating in the air. A blonde dude in a white toga, with sunglasses and a cocky smile. Apollo? He winked at me, but held a finger up to his lips. Rachel Elizabeth Dare. You have the gift of prophecy, but it is also a curse. Are you sure that you want this? Rachel nodded. It's my destiny. Do you accept the risks? I do. Then proceed. Rachel closed her eyes. I accept this role. I pledge myself to Apollo, god of oracles. I open my eyes to the future and embrace the past. I accept the spirit of Delphi, voice of the gods, speaker of riddles, seer of fate. I didn't know where she was getting the words, but they flowed out of her as the mist thickened. A green column of smoke like a huge python uncoiled from the mummy's mouth and slithered down the stairs, curling affectionately around Rachel's feet. The oracle's mummy crumbled, falling away until it was nothing but a pile of dust in an old tie-dye dress. Mist enveloped Rachel in a column. For a moment, I couldn't see her at all. Then the smoke cleared. Rachel collapsed and curled into a fetal position. Annabeth, Nico, and I rushed forward, but Apollo said, Stop! Stop! This is the most delicate part. What's going on? What do you mean? Apollo studied Rachel with concern. Either the spirits take hold... Either the spirit takes hold, or it doesn't. And if it doesn't? Annabeth asked. Five syllables, Apollo said, counting them on his fingers. That would be real bad. Despite Apollo's warning, I ran forward and knelt over Rachel. The smell of the attic was gone. The mist sank into the ground and the green light faded. But Rachel was still pale. She was barely breathing. Then her eyes fluttered open. She focused on me with difficulty. Percy? Are you okay? She tried to sit up. Ow. She pressed her hands to her temples. Rachel, Nico said. 
Your life aura almost faded completely. I could see you dying. I'm all right, she murmured. Please, help me up. The, the visions are... They're a little disorienting. Are you sure you're okay? I asked. Apollo drifted down from the porch. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce the new Oracle of Delphi? You're kidding, Annabeth said. Rachel managed a weak smile. It's a little surprising to me, too, but this is my fate. I saw it when I was in New York. I know why I was born with true sight. I was meant to become the Oracle. I blinked. You mean you can tell the future now? Not all the time, she said. But there are visions, images, words in my mind. When someone asks me a question, I... Oh, no. It's starting, Apollo announced. Rachel doubled over like someone had punched her. Then she stood up again and her eyes glowed serpent green. When she spoke... Her voice sounded tripled, like three Rachels were talking at once. Seven half-bloods shall answer the call. To storm or fire, the world must fall. An oath to keep with a final breath, and foes bear arms to the doors of death. At the last word, Rachel collapsed. Nico and I caught her and helped her to the porch. Her skin was feverish. I'm okay. I'm all right, she said, her voice returning to normal. What was that? She shook her head, confused. What was what? I believe that we have just heard the next great prophecy, Apollo said. Well, what does it mean? I demanded. Rachel frowned. I don't even remember what I said. No. The spirit will only speak through you occasionally. The rest of the time, our Rachel will be much as she has always been. There's no point in grilling her, even if she has just issued the next big prediction for the future of the world. Uh, what? I said. But, Percy... I wouldn't worry too much. The last great prophecy about you took almost 70 years to complete. This one might not even happen in your lifetime. I thought about the lines that Rachel had spoken in that creepy voice. About storm and fire and the doors of death. Maybe, I said. But it didn't sound so good. No, Apollo said cheerfully. No, it certainly didn't. She's going to make a wonderful oracle. Welcome back, Wendog. Um, I will say this is actually second to last chapter. This is chapter 22, and then we're going to move on to 23 uh, pretty much immediately after this one because we're trying to do a lot today. It was hard to drop the subject, but Apollo insisted that Rachel needed rest, and she did look pretty disoriented. 
I'm sorry, Percy. Back on Olympus, I didn't explain everything to you, but the calling frightened me. I didn't think you would understand. I still don't, I admitted. But I guess I'm happy for you. Rachel smiled. Happy probably isn't the right word. Seeing the future isn't going to be easy, but it's my destiny. I only hope that my family... She didn't finish her thought. Uh, Are you still going to go to Clarion Academy? I made a promise to my father. I guess I'll try to be a normal kid during the school year, but... (laughs) But right now you need to sleep, Apollo scolded. Chiron, I don't think the attic is like the proper place for our new oracle, do you? No, indeed. Chiron looked a lot better now that Apollo had worked some magical mat... Chiron looked a lot better now that Apollo had worked some medical magic on him. Rachel may use the guest room in the big house for now until we give the matter some more thought. I'm thinking like a cave in the hills with torches and a big purple curtain over the entrance. Real mysterious. But inside, like, a totally decked-out pad with a game room and one of those home theater systems. Chiron cleared his throat loudly. (coughs) What? Apollo demanded. Rachel kissed me on the cheek. Goodbye, Percy, she whispered. I don't have to see the future to tell you what to do now, do I? Her eyes seemed more piercing than before. I blushed. No. Good, she said. Then she turned and followed Apollo into the big house. The rest of the day was as strange as the beginning. Campers trickled in from New York by car, Pegasus, and chariot. The wounded were cared for. The dead were given proper funeral rites at the campfire. Selena's shroud was hot pink, but embroidered with an electric spear. The Ares and Aphrodite cabins both claimed her as a hero and lit the shroud together. Nobody mentioned the word spy. The secret burned to ashes as the designer perfume smoke drifted into the sky. Even Ethan Nakamura was given a shroud. Black silk with a logo of shields. Black silk with a logo of swords crossed under a set of scales. As his shroud went up in flames, I hoped Ethan knew he had made a difference in the end. He'd paid a lot more than an eye, but the minor gods would finally get the respect they deserved. Dinner at the pavilion was low-key. The only highlight was Juniper the tree nymph, who screamed, Grover! and gave her boyfriend a flying tackle hug, making everybody cheer. They went down to the beach to take a moonlit walk, and I was happy for them. Though the scene reminded me of Selena and Beckendorf, which made me sad. Mrs. O'Leary romped around happily, eating everybody's table scraps, Nico sat at the main table with Chiron and Mr. D, and nobody seemed to think this was out of place. Everybody was patting Nico on the back, complimenting him on his fighting. Even the Arius kids seemed to think he was pretty cool. 
Hey, show up with an army of undead warriors to save the day, and suddenly you're everybody's best friend. Slowly, the dinner crowd trickled away. Some went to a campfire for a single some went to the campfire for a sing-along, others went to bed. I sat at the Poseidon table by myself and watched the moonlight on Long Island Sound. I could see Grover and Juniper at the beach, holding hands, talking. It was peaceful. Hey. Annabeth slid next to me on the bench. Happy birthday. I stared at her. What? It's August 18th, your birthday, right? I was stunned. It hadn't even occurred to me, but she was right. I had turned 16 this morning. The same morning I'd made the choice to give Luke the knife. The prophecy had come true right on schedule, and I hadn't even thought about the fact that it was my birthday. Make a wish, she said. Did you bake this yourself? I asked. Tyson helped. That explains why it looks like a chocolate brick with extra blue cement. Annabeth laughed. I thought for a second and then blew out the candle. We cut it in half and shared, eating with our fingers. Annabeth sat next to me and we watched the ocean. Crickets and monsters were making noise in the woods, but otherwise it was quiet. You saved the world. We saved the world. And Rachel is the new oracle, which means she won't be dating anybody. You don't sound disappointed. I noticed. Annabeth shrugged. Oh, I don't care. Uh-huh. She raised an eyebrow. You got something to say to me, seaweed brain? You'd probably kick my butt. You know I'd kick your butt. I brushed the cake off my hands. Ah. Uh, when I was at the River Sticks, turning invulnerable... Nico said I had to concentrate on one thing that kept me anchored to the world. That made me want to stay mortal. Annabeth kept her eyes on the horizon. Yeah. Then, up on Olympus, when they wanted me to become a god and stuff, I kept thinking, oh, so you wanted to. Yeah, maybe a little, but I, I, I couldn't. Because I thought... I didn't want things to stay the same for eternity, because things can always get better. And I was thinking... My throat felt really dry. Anyone in particular? Annabeth asked, her voice soft. I looked over at her, and she was trying not to smile. You're laughing at me, I complained. I am not. You're so not making this easy. Ah! Then she laughed for real, and she put her hands around my neck. I'm never, ever going to make things easy for you, seaweed brain. Get used to it. When she kissed me, I had the feeling my brain was melting right through my body. I could have stayed that way forever. Except a voice behind us growled, 
Well, it is about time. Suddenly, the pavilion was filled with torchlight and campers. Clarice led the way as the eavesdroppers charged and hoisted us onto their shoulders. Oh, come on, I complained. Is there no privacy? And the lovebirds need to cool off, Clarice said with glee. Uh, the canoe-like, Connor Stoll shouted. With a huge cheer, they carried us down the hill, but they kept us close enough to hold hands. Annabeth was laughing, and I couldn't help laughing too, even though my face was completely red. We held hands right up to the moment they dumped us into the water. Afterward, I had the last laugh. I made an air bubble at the bottom of the lake. Our friends kept waiting us for our friends kept waiting for us to come up, but hey, when you're the son of Poseidon, you don't have to worry. You don't have to hurry. And it was pretty much the best underwater kiss of all time. <laughs> Sandra says, thank you, Clarice. Folks, that is the end of our penultimate chapter, and now the final chapter. That's it. This is it right here. Chapter 23. This is the last chapter. Are you ready? Gwyndog says, Apollo reminds me of a guy I used to have a massive crush on. <laughs> um, how so? Just the just his, is it his vocal pattern or like how he behaves? Uh, Sandra says, it will be his lifetime. It's probably just going to be the next book in the first, in the next series. <laughs> Hearthook, have a good night. Good night, Hearthook. It's been good to have you here. Bye-bye. Um, y'all, y'all, this is it. This is it. Final chapter right now. You ready? Here we go. The last chapter. Chapter 23. Chapter 23. We say goodbye. Sort of. Camp went late that summer. It lasted two more weeks, right up to the start of a new school year, and I have to admit, they were the best two weeks of my life. Of course, Annabeth would kill me if I said anything different, but there was a lot of great stuff going on, too. Grover had taken over the Seder Seekers and was sending them out across the world to find unclaimed half-bloods. I took that one way too quick. Of course, Annabeth would kill me if I said anything different, but there was a lot of great stuff other than... Here we go. I knew it. I knew it. We're, we're at like, we've already surpassed the, uh, the let's see, 12,000 word mark. And so now we're, <laughs> now I'm running on fumes. Let's do this thing. Of course, Annabeth would kill me if I said anything different. But there was a lot of other great stuff going on too. Grover had taken over the satyr seekers and was sending them out across the world to find unclaimed half-bloods. So far, the gods had kept their promise. New demigods were popping up all over the place. Not just, in, not just in America, but a lot of other countries as well. We can hardly keep up, Grover admitted one afternoon when we were taking a break at the canoe lake. We're going to need a bigger travel budget, and I could use a hundred more satyrs. Yeah, but the satyrs you have are working super hard. I think they're scared of you. Grover blushed. That's silly. I, I, I'm not scary. You're a lord of the wild, dude. The chosen one of Pan, a, a council member of... Stop it! Grover protested. 
You're as bad as Juniper. I think she wants me to run for president next. He chewed on a tin can as we stared across the pond at the line of new cabins under construction. The U-shape would soon be a complete rectangle, and the demigods had really taken over the new task with gusto. Nico had some undead builders working on the Hades cabin. Even though he was the only kid in it, it was going to look pretty cool. Solid obsidian walls with a skull over the door and torches that burned green fire 24 hours a day. Next to that were the cabins of Isis. Next to that were the cabins of Iris, Nemesis, Hecate, and several others I didn't recognize. They kept adding new ones to the blueprints every day. It was going so well, Annabeth and Chiron were talking about adding an entirely new wing of cabins just so they could have enough room. Fermi's cabin was a lot less crowded now, mostly because of the unclaimed kids receiving signs from their godly parents. It happened almost every night, and every night, more demigods straggled over the property line with the satyr guides, usually with some nasty monsters pursuing them, but almost all of them made it through. It's going to be a lot different next summer. Kyra's expecting that we're going to have twice as many campers. Yeah, but it'll be the same old place. He sighed contentedly. I watched as Tyson led a group of Cyclops builders. They were hoisting huge stones into place for the Hecate cabin, and I knew it was a delicate job. Each stone was engraved with magical writing, and if they had dropped one, it would either explode or turn everyone into a half-mile... It would either explode or turn everyone within a half-mile into a tree. I figured nobody but Grover would like that. I'll be traveling a lot, Grover warned. Between protecting nature and finding half-bloods, I may not be seeing you as much. <laughs> I won't change anything. You're still my best friend. Oh, I won't change anything. You're still my best friend. He grinned. Except for Annabeth. Eh, that's different. Yes, he agreed. It sure is. In the late afternoon, I was taking one last long walk on the beach. When a familiar voice said... Pretty good day for fishing. My dad, Poseidon, was standing knee-deep in the surf, wearing his typical Bermuda shorts, beat-up cap, and a real subtle pink-and-green Tommy Bahama shirt. He had a deep-sea fishing rod in his hands, and when he cast, the line went way out, like halfway across Long Island Sound. Hey, Dad, what brings you here? He winked. And never really got a chance to talk in private on Olympus. I wanted to thank you. Thank me? You came to the rescue. Yeah, and I got my palace destroyed in the process, but, you know, palaces can be rebuilt. I've gotten so many thank you cards from the other gods. Even Ares wrote one. I think Hera forced him to. It is kind of gratifying, so thank you. I suppose even the gods can learn new tricks. The sound began to boil. At the end of my dad's line, a huge green sea serpent erupted from the water. It thrashed and fought, but Poseidon still sighed. But, 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 but Poseidon just sighed. 
Holding his fishing pole with one hand, he whipped out his knife and cut the line. The monster sank below the surface. It's not eating size, he complained. I gotta release the little wound. Oh, man, y'all. Send help. <laughs> I have to release the little ones or the game wardens will be all over me. Um. Sorry. Our neighbor is having a loud conversation, so my voice my voice is fine. It's my like, can my tongue sort of keep up with it? And then my neighbor started having a loud conversation on their phone. It does not sound like it's going well. Uh, and so, <laughs> hold on a sec. Oh boy. Can y'all hear that? <laughs> yeah, can you hear that? Uh, Sam's doing great. Sam's doing pretty well today. Um, you know, I got a lot of writing done last night. I got like 14 pages of, of uh, not all last night, but I got about 14 pages of material for this, this RPG that I'm working on. I have... Uh, um, I'm, I'm mostly recorded through the, the gems soundbite from last month. Um, and then, uh, you know, tonight I, I don't know if we're going to have time for it cause I got to jump kind of quick after this one. Um, but I'm looking very much forward to Dahlia, the soundbites that you sent in. Uh, some of those look pretty cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. There we go. All right. I think we're, I think we're okay now. <laughs> Oh boy, that's right. Give me, give me a chance to like take a moment here because I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I used Annabeth's voice. Annabeth's not even in this scene. Okay, all right, here we go. It's not eating size. He complained. I gotta release the little ones, or the game wardens will be all over me. Little ones? He grinned. You're doing well with all these new cabins, by the way. I suppose this means I can claim all those other sons and daughters of mine and send you some siblings next summer. Ha ha. Poseidon reeled in the empty line. Uh, I shuffled. Shuffled? What? It's a good thing this chapter's only like 1,500 words. <laughs> I shifted my feet. Uh, you were kidding, right? Poseidon gave me one of his inside joke winks, and I still don't know whether he was serious or not. I'll see you soon, Percy. And remember, no witch fish are big enough to land, huh? With that, he dissolved into the sea breeze, leaving a fishing pole lying on the sand. That evening was the last night of camp. The bead ceremony. The Hephaestus cabin was... The Hephaestus cabin had designed the bead this year. It showed the Empire State Building. And etched in tiny Greek letters, spiraling around the image, were the names of all the heroes who had died defending Olympus. There were too many names. But I was proud to wear the bead. I put it onto my camp necklace. Four beads now. 
I felt like an old-timer. I thought about the first campfire I'd ever attended back when I was 12, and how I'd felt so at home. At least that hadn't changed. Never forget this summer, Chiron told us. He had healed remarkably well, but he still trotted in front of the fire with a slight limp. We have discovered bravery and friendship and courage this summer. We have upheld the honor of the camp. He smiled at me, and everybody cheered. As I looked into the fire, I saw a little girl in a brown dress tending the flames. She winked at me with red, glowing eyes. No one else seemed to notice her, but I realized maybe she preferred it that way. And now, Chiron said, early to bed. Remember, you must vacate your cabins by noon tomorrow unless you've made arrangements to stay the year with us. The cleaning harpies will eat any stragglers, and I would hate to end the summer on a sour note. Sandra, I had exactly the same thought. <laughs> hey, hey, pick up that fishing line. That's important. Go get it. It's going to turn into a sweet trident or something. The next morning, Annabeth and I stood on top of Half-Blood Hill. We watched the buses and vans pull away, taking most of the campers back to the real world. A few old-timers would be staying behind, and a few of the newcomers. But I was headed back to good high school for my sophomore year. The first time in my life I'd ever done two years at the same school. Goodbye, Rachel said as she shouldered her bag. She looked pretty nervous, but she was keeping a promise to her father and heading to Clarion Academy in New Hampshire. It would be next summer before we got our oracle back. You'll do great, Annabeth hugged her. Funny, she seemed to get along fine with Rachel these days. Rachel bit her lip. I hope you're right. I'm a little worried. What if somebody asks what's on the next math test and I start spouting a prophecy in the middle of geometry class? The Pythagorean theorem shall be problem to... Mm. That would be embarrassing. Annabeth laughed, and to my relief it made Rachel smile. Well, you two be good to each other. Go figure, but she looked at me like I was some kind of troublemaker. Before I could protest, Rachel wished us well and ran down the hill to catch her ride. Annabeth, thank goodness, would be staying in New York. She'd gotten permission from her parents to attend a boarding school in the city so she'd be close to the limp and... She'd gotten permission from her parents to attend a boarding school in the city so she'd be close to Olympus and oversee the rebuilding efforts. And close to me, I asked. Well, someone's got a big sense of his own importance. But she laced her fingers through mine. I remembered what she'd told me in New York about building something permanent, and I thought, just maybe, we were off to a good start. The dragon guard Peleus curled contentedly around the pine tree underneath the golden fleece and began to snore, blowing steam with every breath. You've been thinking about Rachel's prophecy? I asked Annabeth. She frowned. How did you know? Ah, because I know you. She bumped me with her shoulder. Okay, so I have. Seven half-bloods shall answer the call. 
I do wonder who they're going to be. We're going to have a lot of new faces next year. Yep, I agreed. And all that stuff about the world falling in storm or fire. She pursed her lips. And the foes at the doors of death. I, I don't know, Percy, but I don't like it. I thought, well, I maybe we would get some peace for a change. It wouldn't be Camp Half-Blood if it was peaceful. I guess you're right. Or maybe the prophecy won't happen for years. Could be a problem for another generation of demigods, I agreed. And then we can just kick back and enjoy. I nodded, though she still seemed uneasy. I didn't blame her, but it was hard to feel too upset on a nice day, with her next to me, knowing that I wasn't really saying goodbye. We had lots of time. Race you to the road, I said. Oh, you're gonna lose. She took off down Half-Blood Hill and I sprinted after her. And for once, I didn't look back. Everyone, I want to thank you all for joining me for another adventure. We have a third one coming up. That's right. Uh, out of in the last four years, right? This, we are starting another one on almost exactly the four-year anniversary. The end of this month is the anniversary of Sidecar Stories. And, um, well, we're going to be starting a, uh, a third adventure on almost exactly the third anniversary. Or, excuse me, fourth anniversary. Um, four years of sidecar stories. Um, uh, Harry Potter and um, uh, the the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series. Uh, of course, that's just on Thursdays. We've also had an entire RPG campaign. Uh, we have had so much fun with all of the vintage sidecar stuff. Um, uh, Frankenstein and the Great Gatsby and A Christmas Carol and uh, all the fun that we've had over there. Murder on the Orient Express. Y'all... It's been a blast. Um, I hope you have a fantastic night. Uh, truly, this has been uh, another wonderful adventure. I've really enjoyed doing this with you all. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our next one. The Hunger Games is going to be a ton of fun. And I think it's going to be great for some discussion. It does not shy away from uh, some of the sort of important questions uh, that one might ask when, when reading through a story like this. So, uh, <laughs> Gwen Dog says, sidecar, sidecar. Hey, thank you. Uh, Sander says, just a question. Did you find the art and the new font for the next book? Uh, no, Sander. Um, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm, I have some stuff collected for it, but I wouldn't say I've found the ones I actually want to use for the, the window art and for, um, uh, and, and, and the, and the, the font that I'm going to be using for it. So no, not quite yet, Sander. A good question though. Uh, I'm glad you're sort of like picking up on stuff like that. If I trust anybody to do it, it's definitely Sander. But yeah, um, this is uh, this is of course my my Percy Jackson sort of Greek adventure font. It's called um, I think it's just called Ch Chicken Caesar or something. What is this font called? Uh, let me see. What, what are you called? Um. Hey, what are you called? There we go. Um. It is called Caesar Dressing. This font is called Caesar Dressing. Um, uh, Rowlet says, Woo! Happy fourth anniversary. Super happy and excited for this to continue with this awesome group. Thank you for everything, Sam. Hey, 
Hey, Rolet, thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining me. Midwest Millennial says, I'm kind of emotional. I was never able to finish this series when I was younger. Hey, Midwest Millennial, that's kind of why I'm here. I want to do that for for stuff like this, for, you know, kind of the YA territory. I want to do this for classics. Um, I if, if I can do anything, I would love to make weeks a little bit better. I would love to, to uh, help y'all sort of mark your time because I know that can be really dangerous, right? Dangerous. I, for some people, it's, it can be dangerous. Um, I, I, uh, but uh, I know that can be really tough for right now for some folks. Um, and uh, I want to thank you all so, so very much for joining me because it has helped me to mark my time as well. Um, so yeah, if I can, if I can provide you with a place to be uh, during during uh, you know a couple nights a week. Uh, if I can provide you with a way to to finish stories that you never finished, to take a take another look or a closer look at stories that you um, you know didn't examine that same way before, then I think this was a this was a success. Uh, Gwendoz says, "Is Hunger Games considered YA?" Yes, yes, it is indeed. Um, roll it says, "I do have to run, but it was super fun to finish the series. I'm excited for the next one. See you guys next week. Roll it. Have a great one. We will see you later on." Um, yeah, of course, you know, uh, Gwendog, when it comes to genre, it's a pretty, definitions are always loose, but yeah, I do think Hunger Games is, is considered YA, um, although it is definitely considered sort of like uh, toward the upper end of YA, both thematically and um, uh, sort of content-wise. Have a great night, roll it. Um, let's see, what else, what else? Uh, hey, here's a question. You know what? No, I'm not going to ask that question. Um but uh, what are y'all looking forward to in year four of Sidecar Stories? Let's see. Um, uh, or excuse me, no. Year, year five of Sidecar Stories. We've done four years. Uh, what are you looking forward to in year five of Sidecar Stories? Oh, year five of Sidecar Stories? That's so wild. Oh, we're embarking on our fifth year of Sidecar Stories. That's crazy. It took three years to do uh, Harry Potter. It took one year to do this, uh, uh, Percy Jackson. And I, I'm guessing it's going to be less than a year for for Hunger Games. It's not a, it's not super long. Uh, Midwest Millennial says, thank you for this. I normally can't make it to the live ones, but I have loved Spotify, Twitch Replay Crew, and uh, the live ones when I can swing it. It's awesome catching up at the end of Harry Potter and keep it up with PJ. Um yeah, five years, right? This is gonna we're entering our fifth year of sidecar stories. Um yeah, absolutely, folks. Um tell people about the show. If you know people who have enjoyed the Hunger Games or you think they might enjoy it, um remember we have got all these episodes up on Spotify now, so you can go and find them there. Uh go ahead and, and search for Flying Sidecar. Um and then of course, like go ahead and check out the links. Use the use the links command. If you want to know what the best way to share the show is, share that link with them. Because if they've got that link, I can make changes within that link. I can bring new stuff to them. So whenever they visit it, it will always have the most recent information. I know that used to be, you know, uh, different. You know, I used to send people to Facebook or Discord. That link is the permanent one, as far as I'm concerned. That is the link to send people to. If I get a if I if I get my own streaming platform at some point, I will have a link from that link trees to the new place. So that that link I plan for that to be a the eternal solution. Um uh Dahlia says, I'm excited about book fair and new projects, including season two of Mercedes. Oh man, am I as well. I am too. Folks, folks, we did a lot of reading tonight. Um, I think that is going to be it for me this evening. I have got to jet a little bit, just a little bit. I'm really glad we were able to get this done in time. Uh, but folks, thank you so 
so very much for joining me here. You have all been glorious. Um, I I hope you've enjoyed this, and I hope that uh, you will spread the word about this next series. Uh, that is, of course, the best way for this to grow. It's the be- best way to get uh, more folks in here, and it's the best way to help the actual projects to grow. So, yeah, I hope you will tell folks about it. Use that link, link dot, uh, <laughs> linktree slash sidecar stories. L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash sidecar stories. That's the one. That's how. Everybody, Gwen Dog, thank you for joining me. Uh, MMP, UU, and Jade Dragon over on Discord. Thank you a ton. Uh, let's see, Gwen Dog, Dahlia, Sidecar. Sidecar Stories is me. 100%. That's me. Why am I reading my own name off there? Midwest Millennial, uh, Rollit, Louise, Sander, uh, Big Mama, let's see, uh, Kid64. Y'all, it has been glorious. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. And let me, uh, <laughs> Gwen Duck says, glad I got the tail end. Going to go listen from the beginning. Yeah. And uh, folks, don't, uh, don't, don't uh, think too poorly of heading back and uh, re-listening to some of the older stuff because that can be a lot of fun. Um, maybe y'all think of it differently, but uh, I, I think it can be quite a bit of fun. Okay. There we go. Folks, uh, let me see what's going on over here these days. Um... You know what? Uh, I'm going to raid over to someone we've never raided over to. They're playing Mario Party um, right now, and uh, their name is Cooley Smiley, and never raided over to them before. Uh, she is a variety streamer and uh, someone who, um, let's see, when we raided over to Travis McElroy, it was just, you know, fun, and then he raided over to her. But she immediately, like, started the stream with, like, hey, here's some, like, <laughs> here's some self-characterizes. So I was like, okay. All right, I get where you're coming from, and I like it. So, yeah, we're going to go hang out with Cooley Smiley tonight. Um, uh, jump in for a raid, everyone. Hop on in. Let me make sure that I've spelled this correctly. Hold on. Cooley Smiley. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you want some uh, some some fun Mario Party action to cool off the night, everyone, thank you so much for joining me. I adore you, and I'm really looking forward to next week. I will see you then. Until then, go hang out on uh, on uh, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for uh, Flying Sidecar, and uh, definitely come and hang out in the Discord. Jump on in, folks. We got our raid going. Hop on in. <laughs> um, uh, and I watched some of the stream, too. It was very, very calm and a lot of fun. So, everyone, I love you. I will see you next week. Bye-bye.